obsessed with me? Why do you watch movies with me? Always and forever. We met at Colby's house. Now our podcast gonna fully bloom. Sure, Netflix is great. But American Psycho 2 makes me salivate. Yes, I love streaming technology. But not as much as physical media using. But I still love streaming technology always and forever. <laughs> Movies for When is like a flock of doves. <laughs> Introing up to heaven above. Welcome back, everybody. We're here. We did it. That, that was some of your finest work. Oh, man. That was great. I, I was pre- popping. I appreciate it. Yeah. I had trouble remembering the rhythm of that song, but uh, I there think... There was rhythm to that song? <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> it was art, Denny. Come on. All right. Movies for Win is back, everybody. We are one week away from our one-year celebration, so this week we thought it would be nice to please the crowd a little bit. Before we celebrate us, we want to celebrate you. So yes. this is Movies for Win. You're a crowd pleaser because Denny, I think we're crowd pleasers, buddy. I'd say we are. We are. Uh, we are one with the people. I, I, I truly believe that about us, Greg. Like we every week, we sit down and we say, no matter what happens today, we've got to give the people what they want. One two three. One two three. Best friends forever. Magical adventures. We say it every week before we go on the air. Stop. <laughs> Stop doing this. That's my new gimmick. Oh my fucking goodness, dude! It's my um, new gimmick. It's it's, yeah. it's getting over, brother. Put it on a shirt. Ah, uh, put it on a t-shirt. Oh, one man. two three. One two three. Magical adventures. Best friends forever. And then the back just says every week we oh. do this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, by next week, I'll totally be into it. Um, yeah, this, <laughs> these are movies for when you're a crowd pleaser. And if you follow us on social media in any capacity, you will know that all three movies that we are doing this week were selected by you, the crowd, the audience, the people have spoken. We've decided to put it all in your hands. We didn't want to make any picks. Uh, we just wanted people to have pick a movie pick whatever you wanted to watch whatever you but wanted don't us to discuss. pick your friend's nose but don't pick your friend's nose <laughs> those are the two things we were <laughs> <laughs> that's right oh man we did we had some great suggestions a lot of people were giving like uh a three movies suggestions those were awesome mm-hmm. um denny uh, before we get into the movies we did select, I would like to get into the movies that did not quite make the cut. Yeah, because a great injustice has happened. A uh, friend of the show, Will Reno, is very disturbed by yes, it. Yes, he is. Um, very. And he didn't even vote, so well, I don't know what to tell you. you if, lose if, your, if you don't vote, you lose your right to complain about the winners. This is, this is your high school government teacher guilting you into voting. <laughs> While true, if he, if his vote had gone through, what his selections were would have not changed anything. So I'll start from the bottom and go to the top. Uh, in last place, we had Dark City. And then after that, we had The People Under the Stairs. 
tied with that, we had Double Dragon. And then that we missed out on that one, by the uh, way. I That's, believe that, yeah. That'll be a fun one when we eventually get to it, trust and me. Music, uh, movies for when the titles are alliterative. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's when we're really scraping the bottom of the barrel <laughs> for concepts not for movies uh upsetting will reno we have the gumby movie up next that is tied with you got served which two of the greatest films of of the 90s and 2000s if you ask me i i'm always asking you <laughs> uh, after that you have one of my votes i voted for seven samurai barely missed out barely was uh was beaten out by one vote which means our three winners in your selection of three votes from our 34 voting participants are eternal sunshine of the spotless mind the cable guy and our top vote getter was napoleon dynamite and if if our 90s kids episode did doing very well didn't confirm it enough already these three movies winning the poll like this is a this is a millennial podcast for millennials by millennials yeah Uh, these are three very millennial movies damn right (laughs) (laughs) and we're proud of it hell uh, my vote. I voted for Seven Samurai and and the Gumby movie and Eternal Sunshine because I knew you would really love to talk about that one. I have been waiting for when we would cover it. Ah oh, man, I didn't realize how much I wanted to cover it until I watched it again. Uh, yeah. More on that later. <sighs> all right, Denny. We've got all those out of the way. We watched three movies, but uh, what else did you watch this week, my guy? Um, I watch a lot of rewatches, nothing new. Um, but let's see, I, I went to uh, I went to Galveston with friends of the show Troy and Ariel Stewart this weekend, and we just kicked back and watched a bunch of movies that we love. Um, our watch list included a rewatch of Chippendale Rescue Rangers, nice. um, the movie, uh, very good. Mortal Kombat, which is a movie I've seen about five million times. Um, Looper, which I had not seen in forever and enjoyed very much, even more so this time around. Oh, yeah. And This Is The End, which is something that I think is very underrated and I am always down to check out. It's a it's a great movie. And a really unique nice. one, too. And a human being. What uh, about you, my dude? I only had time for a couple of movies. Uh, my wife and I just finished rewatching Horrible Bosses 2. Ooh. Oh, it's pretty fun. I love Chris Pine in that movie. What can I say? Very, very funny comedy that just <laughs> uh, doesn't take itself too seriously at all. But nice, you know, still pretty dumb, but in a fun way. Um, the only other thing I watched was a movie that I wish I had saved, or I might still save for movies for when the sequel is better than the original part two that tracks uh we watched a quiet place part two. Ooh, i never got around to that one it was significantly better than the first and i loved it awesome now i've got to see it oh yeah it's it's really good man um yeah just like lesson all the it's it's the best sequel you can do because it like builds on the previous one mm-hmm. and who and 
Jim Halpert, who made the first one, was like, okay, I'm going to learn everything I can from the first one and improve upon basically every aspect of the first movie. Cool. First of all, by making myself in it less. <laughs> uh, yeah, no offense to him, but he made a way better movie, and I'll give him full credit for that. Emily Blunt rocks. We don't deserve her. Yeah. Right. What else you seen, brother? Is that no, it? that was it. Yeah, <laughs> we're, yeah. Slow, we're still slow. Getting, we're still getting caught up on Barry. Um, oh, I've got. I haven't seen the finale yet. No, me either. We're so in the you middle. You haven't of, either. We're in the middle of season two. I've seen season two, but my wife hasn't. So we're we'll we'll get there. All right, Denny. Um, let's get into our first movie this week. Let's do it. Let's drop this dynamite. Boom goes the dynamite. And. Boom Boom goes the dynamite. Napoleon. <laughs> movie. Alright, we're there. Alright, uh, our first movie is Napoleon Dynamite. It is a 2004 film that is available to you on Hulu. I believe you have to have a subscription for it, but not like the live TV subscription. You can watch it right now. It's good. It's a movie. Yeah. We, it's good. You remember 2004, right? <laughs> you can put it on Hulu and look right at it. Um... <laughs> <laughs> and listen to it <laughs> for the whole movie if you're ever so inclined <laughs> you want me to hit a synopsis yeah go for it brother um napoleon dynamite is a series of loosely connected snl sketches about a character named napoleon dynamite um at times there is something that slightly resembles a plot um but it's basically john heater uh and everyone else in the movie running around and being fantastically awkward um some of the bits really land some of them really don't long story short napoleon dynamite is a really big nerd who is uh kind of mislabeled as charming he's actually like an absolute fucking asshole for the entire fucking movie um, which is something well, that, like, that sounds like me. a hot take um and uh but there's also some, like, really sincere and heartwarming bits, you know, like, you got people falling in love in chat rooms, you got awkward mm -hmm. girls playing tetherball, you got Napoleon getting stood up at the dance. Um, you know, I'm really trying to mine this for the story, and the more I'm talking about it, the more I'm like, yeah, there honestly really wasn't one at all. Even, like, yeah. him getting bullied and stuff, it, it's not like an arc. <laughs> you know? Like, it's just like, and he gets bullied pretty frequently <laughs> yeah if you if you just want to say a series of sketches based in like a rural idaho high school mm -hmm. that's fine you got it nailed it good job buddy greg what's your relationship with uh asmr sorry Thank napoleon dynamite <laughs> uh <laughs> to answer your real question or i guess both questions it's a complicated one <laughs> So this came out in August of 2004, so summer break right before, I believe, 8th grade for me. Apparently everybody and their mom saw this movie, and I did not. So we come back to school after summer break for 8th grade, and everybody is quoting the ever-loving shit out of this movie. And I don't know what's going on. Uh, come to find out... The movie Napoleon Dynamite is a smash hit among middle schoolers. <laughs> Fast forward to uh, October, and then people are wearing Napoleon Dynamite costumes at school. The vote for Pedro shirts, the big, the tall black boots, they're doing the dance. They're still quoting it. I still don't get it. I assume this is the funniest movie ever made. 
Christmas break comes along. I finally watch the movie. And I think to myself, that's it? <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? This is what I've been missing out out on for all of these months and then I watched it again maybe five years later I was like okay I think it's a little bit funnier now and then I watched it again just the other day I was like okay I think it's a little bit even more funnier now so it's fine I think I just got a bad taste in my mouth from being left out (laughs) at a at a new school in a new town yeah shit sucks sorry buddy that sucks it's okay I'm 31 now and drinking while making a podcast cheers i'm so sorry for your pain i clearly i'm over it cool um greg how about you this is a feelings podcast young man all right i i feel my feelings here i believe (laughs) i know you do um yeah no i i have vivid memories um close enough yeah i have vivid memories of seeing this film at Cinemark Legacy in Plano, um, I was I was really excited about it. Like it was one of those things where like I saw the poster and was like, "Ooh, that looks different." And then I saw the trailers, and it's something I'll get into more in our notes. That I was like, you know, like at the time in like 2004, super awkward comedy, like very deadpan, dry humor, wasn't really a thing. Like in, in so many ways, this movie's a trailblazer. Um, so I was really, not for the better, but yeah, yeah. (laughs) I was really excited to, to see this movie. Um, and then I saw it in theaters and was like, oh, okay, that's, it's, it's okay. Not, not the like powerhouse I was expecting. Um, then, uh, you know, I I worked at a, a wholesome family environment for a long time and, uh, it was one of the only, like, completely clean movies that was really popular, um, I think because Mormons made it, um, and then, uh, I, I got more into it as we quoted it all the time, and then after, like, 15 years of not quoting it or watching it, I watched it again this week, and, uh, I have mixed feelings on it, but the, the most important thing about my relationship with this movie is, um, you may see me now and be like, you're a balding, pear-shaped giant with a mullet. But what you may not know is that in high school, I was a skinny kid with a white afro who danced a lot. Um, and <laughs> Hold on. So me, me and my friend, uh, we went to a, we had a really good time at our homecoming. And we were just like, fuck it, let's keep the good times rolling. And like the next week i think just showed up to a homecoming dance at a high school around town uh, across town that we didn't know anyone at um and just went there and like danced our asses off had a fantastic time and then just disappeared into the night like made no new friends but were like life of the party having a blast and it was really fun um and then like three months later i'm at the mall and this dude comes up to me and goes like oh my god it's you and i was like what and he's like you're the guy who dressed up as napoleon dynamite and came to our homecoming and i was like i uh i did not dress up as napoleon dynamite for that particular <laughs> for that particular occasion oh my god <laughs> everyone thought i was just me looking the way i looked they thought i was doing a napoleon dynamite cosplay <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> I 
Gross. Who's is sadder? Let us know in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> oh Who my. needs therapy more? Like for Denny, share for Greg. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, surprises me none, honestly. Look at us. <sighs> Alright, um... Yeah, movie itself, should we talk about it a little bit, man? Yeah, man. I, I think there's some, some interesting things about this movie it doesn't really get credit for. Um, watching it this time, I was like, this is like the bridge between 90s character comedies and super bad. Like, mm -hmm. this is like the transitional period where it's like, still like, you know, like, you know how it was where it was like every comedy movie was named like Billy Madison. Austin Powers, Wayne's World, Happy Gilmore, um, and they're just all about following this really zany character through their through their world, right? Like that's mm -hmm. the premise of the movie is there's a funny character, and then like that's a dead genre now. You know, like we don't do that anymore. Um, super, yeah, we <laughs> we don't do that in Wakanda uh, when mm -hmm. someone. We don't do when that someone here. like pitches uh, Billy Madison too. They just they just throw up the X and tell him we don't do that. Well, hold here. on. You're mentioning a legacy sequel. Calm down. <laughs> um, so, um, but then like Superbad changes the game, right? And it's all about like being very realistic, being very raunchy. Um, like I remember being a high schooler watching Superbad and being like, oh my god, someone actually captured how like high school boys talk to each other. Um, it's like it's damn near a documentary at some parts you know <laughs> like um and so i think like napoleon dynamite was was a really interesting um bridge right like between those two genres of we're kind of done with character comedies like the love guru didn't quite work out that came oh out no it time, did not right um <laughs> the movie that like, sucks shit yeah yeah no, we, not work. we've still got a few more failed attempts until what we get uh, until what we eventually arrive at, which is going to be the comedy style for the next like decade. Um, and I think it's a perfect spot in between. And I also, you know what else I'm ready to commit to this stance. I don't think you would have Juno without Napoleon dynamite. I think it paved the way. Um, yep. For, two for overrated comedies. Hey, I like Juno a lot. All right. <laughs> right on wizard. What? Sorry, my, uh, my my mic is a hamburger. I can't hear you. Oh my god, you're so quirky. That's one doodle that can't be undid, Greg. Wow. Your Very doggo is prego. Please. If I was a flower growing wild, please stop. Pray, I want to be... <laughs> um, I don't know thoughts on the the genre significance of napoleon dynamite am, am i just talking out of my ass here no you're you're right um you know it, it's harder to have a perspective on that being that like i was 14 when it happened but like in retrospect i think you're absolutely right just like those, those raunchy comedies or like those character comedies that you're talking about i i didn't really watch growing up very much oh okay yeah, yeah like, no, no cable i forgot yeah no cable uh my parents are the way that they are they didn't want me watching like raunchy stuff so whatever but did, did you at least see adam sandler's uh guest spot on arthur 
Uh, if it was on Arthur, I saw it. I, I just made that up. I don't uh, think he did one. I, I don't. I didn't think so either. And my bullshit. My bullshit detector was in the red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what was it like seeing a movie like this? Um, you know, without the without the uh, prior knowledge. Um, I don't know. At the time, is that what you mean? Sure. Like when I was four. When I was. Four, 14 watching this movie for the first time i was just like obviously like like i said earlier i was clearly not blown away at all uh i i thought there were like a couple funny laugh out loud parts of like physical comedy and those still make me laugh today because yeah yeah. awesome what what are some of those uh jumping over the fence uh shooting the cow um (laughs) That's basically it. Uh, the drawing of the of the crush, etc. God, that one. Is, her like the the actor's facial expressions while she's looking at it, like before the reveal, <laughs> so good. Like really sold it. <laughs> yeah, but like I didn't pick up on those things. Like I'm yeah. waiting. At 14, you're just waiting for the joke. You're waiting for that over the top punchline of just like, here's why it's funny. It's either vulgar or like somebody gets kicked in the balls or something like yeah. that that's that's just kind of what i was looking for and maybe this it doesn't it doesn't do that i don't think it's like it all the jokes went over my head because you know maybe they're not all the best thing ever but it's still just like the stuff that did work didn't click with me at that age and i'm not yeah. sure why it did with all the middle schoolers in my class i'm not really sure what the hell was going on there dude but there were like so many people quoting that movie who hadn't even seen it you know like it's just i like, was it, one of them i think yeah, be, <laughs> i was be, a poser it became a phenomenon um yeah no but i remember being in the theater to your point and just being like this is kind of jarring because it was, like, so different from any movie I'd ever, like, seen in my life. Just, like, yeah. the tone, the pacing, the the comedic style and delivery. I'm like, you guys got to realize, we barely had The Office at this point. You know, like, uh, we certainly hadn't gotten around to, like, Flight of the Concords. You know, like, just... Uh, this was a very new style of humor that hadn't really been done in like mainstream American movies before Napoleon Dynamite to the point that it it actually kind of confused me when I was watching it as a middle schooler. I was like, so what? Yeah. Like, just, uh, what, the, what the fuck am I looking at here? Yeah, imagine, <laughs> imagine like thinking that, but also not having the context of other modern American comedies at the time. Mm-hmm because that was me like i didn't even i hadn't seen like the vast majority of like what was funny at the time so like i had it built up in my head like it was all those other movies that i also hadn't seen mm-hmm. so it's just like okay but like this is it like this is the thing like it's yeah it's a weird relationship with this movie mine, mine is too like i really go back and forth on like there's so much that i think is like really cool and unique about it just for like its place in cinema history and for uh doing some things that really hadn't been done before mm-hmm. and yet there's another part of me that's like yeah and on some level it also like kind of sucks you know like i i, I, I just <laughs> I, I can't really nail down how i feel about it well i feel differently now because since watching this movie for the first time i have driven through idaho mm-hmm. boy howdy never done uh, it myself what's it like 
it's exactly like what you see. It's just, you know, it's it's kind of pretty, but then you just go and pass by all these like small towns and like you know, you're just like on a long trip, you're on the highway, you see these this vast expanse of nothingness and then you see like a small town and you're like, what are the people that live here doing? Yeah. And what I picture in my head is actually this movie now. And <laughs> I don't think just, I'm that far off. Just shoving tater tots in their cargo shorts and walking around town. <laughs> Tot pockets. <Yeah. laughs> that was good. Holy shit. Were, were you sitting on that? Uh, no, I wasn't sitting on those tots. Uh, <laughs> that was good. That was real good. Yeah, like, it's, I think I appreciate it more like just the the perspective i have is of like just these tiny towns that are out in the middle of nowhere middle of nowhere america and they still have like these little microcosms of like it's like pseudo mean girls because you know you got like even at this little podunk town you've got your popular kids and all this traditional high school stuff but it's still just like that's like four or five people and then you've got like this FFA program and you've got like I don't know it, it's interesting to see the different types of people in this movie yeah yeah and yeah. they they're all way more understandable to me now well I liked that uh I liked that like the jocks and like the beautiful of people of the town you know like of the high school mm. um they they still looked kind of like small town people you know like it's like there's stiffer competition in a big city for who's going to be like the hottest people in school you know like these Mm -hmm. these are people who might have like lost out in a cincinnati or a dallas but they got to be the bullies you know like because because they were uh a little bit better looking and had nicer clothes than most of their friends but i I don't know that they could have cut it in a bigger city they might have got bullied (laughs) maybe so Uh, they'll never know because they grew up in this little bubble i guess yep and (sighs) they'll probably never leave it um that's right i i was really impressed with uh the opening titles uh Mm -hmm. i I thought those were really well done and creative and engaging and just a a fun way to kind of acclimate people to the movie they're about to watch uh i wish it i wish it kept that same visually creative energy you know like i i felt like that that was something that was kind of missing was this Mm -hmm. like uh this this enthusiasm that it showed for itself in those opening titles i was like "Ooh, oh i'm about to watch like a really well thought out like i was like this is like am i about to watch 500 days of summer or something you know like this is like i thought you were about to say you were pining for more visual exploration of rural idaho and i was like denny i don't think you want that no i I just meant like more more like quirky creative stuff a little bit wes anderson-y you know like uh, mm-hmm. but not full anderson um kind of like wes anderson. anderson meets the office you know like that honestly that's kind of what this movie was um <laughs> but but not the good parts hey, <laughs> hey. um sexy wh- wh- what what do you got greg what are what are your thoughts give, give me give me a lead uh i kind of want to get to what you were talking about a little bit with napoleon um i had in my notes here that he is a compulsive liar and that gets out of hand and a little annoying at times yeah he kind of napoleon kind of sucks sometimes huh dude it was like honestly hard to feel sorry for him sometimes because he's such a like 
fucking asshole to everyone he interacts with for the entire movie. You know, and like, I, I get it. It's like, it's his defense mechanism. But we never really see any sort of like dynamic emotion from him that like really makes us care a little bit more about him. You know, like, I'm like, yeah. you're just like, you're like a really volatile and irritable lying dickhead. You know, like, and my sympathy for you is only going to go so far. Like, you're, like, you're a kid who gets bullied and takes that energy and immediately gets excited about the first person of lower social status than him that he can be mean to. And, you know, like, instead of being like, this is bad, he's like, all right, time I to turn. find someone lower on the totem pole than me, because I, I just don't want to be at the bottom, right? You know, mm-hmm. like, it's, it's really, honestly... Everyone in this movie, other than Pedro and, and Deb, are very unlikable characters. Like, pretty much all of them. Oh, LaFonda. LaFonda rules. I love LaFonda her. LaFonda rules. I like yeah. Kip. Kip's fun. Kip's fun, but he's You don't an, like Rex Quando, sir? <sighs> Rex Quando seemed Quando. very out of place in this movie. Um, but I do love... Are you talking <laughs> shit about him because he goes home to Starla every night? <laughs> I'm not talking shit about him because his infatuation with his uh, Stars and Stripes uh, uh, Zubaz pants uh, is very endearing to me. But even, like, Kip is Kip's a little more charming than Napoleon because he's much more meek. He's also a fucking dickhead. Like, he's an asshole. He's an asshole to, like, everyone. Like, mm. he's, he's always being mean and rude. And it's like a bunch of bitter people hanging out together for most of the movie. Just, like, bitter, resentful people. Yeah, well, look at their grandma, you know? She... Running know. running off to the dunes and telling them to make a dang quesadilla. <laughs> like, they're just... Everyone's dismissive of one another. And I, I think you're right that everyone's just an asshole, but I think it's just a product of their environment. You ready for more deep dive of character... <laughs> yeah, no, Character I mean, depth and in Napoleon Dynamite? It tracks, you know? Like, it's like... Yeah, if this I was... what the people a, voted for. If I was a teenager under the authority of uncle rico i've got to think i'd be an asshole too and you know what i was a fucking asshole <laughs> when i was <laughs> battling some uncle rico adjacents in my childhood um so it's not that i'm like <laughs> like if, if i met these kids i'd like want to comfort them you know like i'd, I'd want to like have empathy for them but i don't know that i want to watch them be dicks for 90 minutes you know like if these were like real people that i knew i'd want to like be very caring and kind and you know hopefully hopefully connect with them in a way that's reparative and restorative but just watching them run around and be assholes got a little bit old especially when i'm like hey deb is better than all of you you keep being mean to her i'm kind of rooting against you i hope she gets with pedro like that they belong together deb and pedro ship them otp um i love them all that goes to say when they when they were giving everyone like just kind of some victory moments to wrap it up um i first of all didn't understand why uncle rico got one because he was just a fucking absolute abusive slime ball the whole movie and who couldn't move on from the past (laughs) and then they just give him a win and i'm supposed to feel happy about it but it's quick but man i will say dude i think you know i'm a pretty big fan of a good roll credits um oh yeah that tetherball scene with deb the only time in the movie i actually really kind of felt something was when 
you know, like, Deb comes up to him, agrees to play him in Tetherball after he got rejected by, like, the the popular girl earlier in the movie. Um, and then he just starts, like, like hammering away at that Tetherball and just, like, destroying it. And I was just sitting there being like, hey, Napoleon won one. You know, like, the, the little guy got a win. I, mm. I felt good. And then they... They hit the promise by when in Rome, and it's just like when I I heard that song for the first time in this movie and was like in love with it for years afterwards. Um, that was a really oddly fitting roll credits for this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I don't know why it worked, but it really did. Um, what what were your thoughts on the on the kind of closing moments of the movie? We can jump back. I'm not trying to wrap up. You know, I was just like, this is what came no, to my no. mind. That was good. I I really liked just that long pull out shot of them playing tetherball together because yeah. it was, you know, whether they like date or not, whatever. It's just like he, I I feel like he has the potential of finally having like a real friend that he doesn't have to like talk shit with and like be rude yeah. to, yeah. like he kind of had been with her, mm-hmm. and like them playing tetherball together. I, I think, you know. It's it's very endearing to watch, and you know the song plays. Roll credits. Yeah, it, it's it is a very cute moment, and I see it more as like a cute moment of friendship than yeah than anything like romantic or whatever. Yeah, and it's one of the only things that like kind of tracked with a theme in the movie was like earlier on, like I, I forget why the popular girl was talking to him, but there's it's one of the only moments in the whole movie where he reaches out to someone and he goes. Do you want to play me? Oh, it's because uh, Pedro left the cake at her door and asked her to the dance, and oh, she was like, yeah. oh, you're Pedro's friend. I'm going to give you this note that says, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so she like carried on the conversation a little bit, just out of politeness a little bit. Yeah. But hear- hearing him ask, do you want to play me, and like totally not reading the situation, and it, it came across as kind of vulnerable, you know, like and, and seeing yeah. him... Seeing him get rejected for that broke my little heart a little. Um, dude, how about that, Pedro? What what a confident, inspiring young man Pedro is. Dude, I I love him, man. He's like, great. I love I love Pedro. I love his family. Yeah. His primos, man. Dude, Pedro's cousins. He's just got with, such with a the sweet strong hookups. supportive family that putting vote for Pedro on their side of their lowrider. Like, it's, yeah. It, it is funny to see like those characters interact silently with others and it's also endearing like how supportive they are i yeah. love it yeah no, they, nice. they rule man they, they show up on the horizon at the 11th hour to get napoleon to the dance you know like that's it's, <laughs> it's cool man that was awesome um yeah uh efren ramirez is the name of the actor and i'd really love to see him get more work he is a He's in season two of Eastbound and Down, and he's really good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's great. Um, I, I, oh, whenever man. he shows up without a mustache, though, I never recognize him. I'm always like, who? I know, I know this guy. Oh, my God, it's Pedro. You know? like that's... Well, he's the only kid in school that can grow a mustache. Yeah. Couple days. <laughs> only takes him a couple days. What a flex. Oh, man. I what a flex. I can't grow a mustache. And it. if you give me weeks, and I'm... 31 (laughs) (laughs) pathetic um i did want to say you know i know a lot of people a lot of people are waiting for this they they really want to know um 
I had trouble getting an identification on the wrestling figure that Napoleon dangles out the window of the bus. Oh my god. Um, I believe it... I am so sorry, I wanted to ask. I believe it to be from the bootleg dollar store line called Wrestling Federation, made from stolen molds from Extreme Championship Wrestling. Um, I, I paused it a lot. It looks like the body of Little Guido... Um, the head, I'm going to assume, was Lance Storm, but I'm not positive. It was hard to get a really good look at it. Um, but I can confirm that that's definitely a bootleg wrestling figure. Um, the hard thing with bootleg wrestling figures is they're really hard to track <laughs> online because there's just a lot of bootleg shit out there. Uh, but I believe that is from the Wrestling Federation line. And I, I can all but guarantee that was a, a, a stolen mold for a little Guido body. Not that anyone asked. <laughs> the insight that you have just brought is the most powerful and important that you have ever brought to any movie. <laughs> Thank you, Greg. This meant a lot to me, and I really appreciate it. Thanks, Greg. It's something. It's a question that I didn't think to ask, but I wish I had. I gave it. That was beautiful. Thank you. I gave it all the care of uh, Trisha's upper lip shading. Um, I, I really, like, I did a lot of pausing, rewinding, and vigorous Googling, and I, I got as warm as zooming. I could get before I was zooming like, and enhancing. Yeah, there, there's just not a comprehensive list of these bootleg toys on the internet, but um, I got enough, and I got some, like, granular, like, zoomed out shots that I couldn't enhance enough um, that I was like, all right. This, this is the style of this series, and uh, I think I can place it in this photo, but I can't get close enough to, like, really confirm details. So, yeah. Awesome. I, I was I was pretty excited. That was actually something I never noticed before, which you would think I would. You know, but, like, it was very obviously a, a, a wrestling toy of some sort. So, yeah, I did my best. Incredible. Well, Denny, um, the only other note I really have is damn dude the song time after time fucking rips. oh dude that i don't, that I don't care what is... genre i don't care what genre you're into i don't care what music you like i don't care what era you're from time after time is a yeah. good ass song yeah oh dude it's fantastic and it's like the i feel like it's like a slow dance song in a lot of school dance movie scenes and i never get tired of it because it's the perfect school dance slow dance song um dude that that whole awkward 80s school dance happening in the 2000s is very much my energy um that yeah. that whole scene I, that really like that kind of brought me back into the movie when it was when it was losing me a little bit um yeah well, I, th I think it's 80s themed because it's a town kind of stuck. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it's moving forward very much. So I think a lot Bro. of the 80s stuck around because it's just small rural town. And I, I that's used, the best you're going to get. I used to work in uh, adolescent services in some some rural towns. And I would go, I would go to the schools and, and stuff like that. Let me tell you, man, it's, it's like time travel. Like, it's like, Back that's that's the probably the most accurate thing about this movie that I was like, dude, I feel like I am in, like, 1966. Mm -hmm. Like, it was, it's insane how how untouched some of, some of these, like, smaller towns are. Um, you know, like, not, not to knock it or anything like that, but it was just so, like, 
I had no idea that this was going on like 30 minutes from the city I live in. You know, like if you just drive a little bit out of the city and I, and I just got to see like the life of those towns a little more in, intimately. And I'm telling you, like it's, it's legitimately like you could almost like sell it as an attraction. How like how time travelly it is, you know? Like it's it's really it's really uh, I think surreal. Surreal is the word I would use to describe it. It's very surreal. Dude, I believe it. It's <laughs> I've seen this one before. It's a classic. It's a rerun. <laughs> <laughs> they they told Denny in twenty twenty. <laughs> Diddy Taylor in Back to the MHMR. <laughs> a recent graduate time Danny, travels to new- a state-funded mental health agency from 40 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> Mr. Taylor, have you seen that new Spider-Man movie? Yeah, it was pretty fun. Tom Holland. Who's Tom Holland? I'm talking about Tobey Maguire. <laughs> I think oh, it's going to redefine the genre. Sandman looks like a great villain. Can't wait for that. Goodness gracious! All right, let's uh, quit make quit making fun of small town people in general. And uh, you want to do? S- All right, um, real quick. The last the last thing I had, I I didn't know this movie had a post credit scene. Oh, I, I forgot about it. I, I I watched the whole credits just to listen to the promise, and I was like, oh my god, what? I didn't know it existed until last week. I was like, I was watching it on Hulu. I was like, weird. This is like a nine-minute credits. Something's afoot. Yeah. So I like fast forwarded, and there was like a whole wedding scene with Kip and Lafonda, and it was awesome. It was one of the best scenes in the movie. I'd argue the best, like the best scene in the movie, and honestly, dialed up the ridiculousness in a way that I think was a little bit needed. You know, <laughs> like it just like it gave us what we wanted. Like I think that should have been part of the film. Originally, I do too. like show thirty seconds of credit and then get into that and then show the rest of the credits. That's what should have happened. Well, and it's not get... like one little bit. It's like a whole scene. It's like it's it's a long scene. Long. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's extended. You get like Napoleon. Oh my God, John Heater's performance in this movie I think is overrated by a great deal. Like, I just don't think his delivery... he Physically, he sells the part extremely yeah. well. But I think his delivery of, like, most of his lines are not that great and mm-hmm. don't really land that well. Mm-hmm. But seeing him ride in on a horse and just, like, oh, my God. he Like, the way he rides that horse, he looks like somebody would do a Muppet riding a horse. No, it looks it's, like, like it's a dummy exactly- stuck up there. He looks exactly like a Muppet. Yeah. It's fucking perfect, and it's the funniest thing he did in the whole movie. I, I legit should have been part of it. I legit thought that it was a uh, uh, like a, a body double dummy, like until I got a real good look at it, and I was like, nope, that's a real human on that thing because it's not moving. He's not moving like a human moves. Like Muppet is perfect, all bouncy, like Kermit getting all excited, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like that was, oh, I love that part. But yeah, that's that's my last note. I didn't know there was a stinger, and I think it salvaged this watch through. Yeah, like I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, not enjoy it, but I think it it made it a lot better. 
I think, you know, between that that tetherball scene, the promise playing for the credits, and then the post-credits, I think it leaves a really good taste in your mouth. You know, they, they really nailed the last bite, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. You ready to get into gimmicks of the week? Let's Perhaps. do it. Gimmick of the week! Perhaps the gimmick of the week, if you're wondering, is the gimmick of the week is our favorite crowd pleaser. This is movies for when you're a crowd pleaser. Denny, what is your favorite time that this movie was a crowd pleaser? Um, I'm going to change mine, actually, in light of recent evidence. Um, it was the the reveal of the Trisha sketch, just because I remember that being like the funniest part of the movie, and it, it still was. Um, that was masterful. Um, but... Um, the the I'm gonna go with the post credit scene because that's much more on brand with like the style of comedy we were accustomed to at the time, um, and mm. especially like when you're a middle schooler, like randomness is funny to you. Um, oh my god, yeah. You know, like that's that's a crowd pleaser right there to kind of to kind of wash down the very awkward and like I said before at the time jarring movie. Um, what about you? Yeah, I think, you know, especially in 2004, like, random, that shit was, like, at its peak. But it was, like, zany random. It was never dry random. So I think that's why this baby didn't land for me at the time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. needed to be more epic bacon shit. Um, (laughs) More XD raw. (laughs) Holds up spork. Oh, Jesus. All right, I need to... (laughs) I need to move this along. Um, uh, my favorite clown pl- crowd pleaser was all the little happy ending moments. I think you mentioned yeah. the one for Rico, but I, I liked I liked all of them. Like especially like the ending shot, like we already discussed. You know, Pedro winning the election, like the dance going well, like everything just and like you know Kip and Lafonda's wedding, like everything works out for everybody. So it was just like the last thing this movie needed was like the stress of characters failing in some way yeah so yeah. i'm glad we got just a little bit of reprieve and just yeah. joy i guess yeah. you could say i'm with you on that man it was uh, uh, uh for a movie about nothing that i didn't really feel much for um, th- those those closing moments really brought out some sincere emotion for me. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Especially, like, Napoleon seeing Kip just get on the bus without saying goodbye and just, like, being okay with it. You know, being like, yeah, yeah. this is what he needs to go do. You know, like, that was, that was kind of cool. Yeah. I, I, I registered that scene in that same manner, but I didn't make a note of it. I'm mm-hmm. glad you mentioned it. Yeah. Um, this was, real quick, this was on Hulu... So when I started, it it didn't have ads running through the movie, but it mm-hmm. started with ads before I could watch it. So I do jarring get jarring capitalism bonus gimmick. My favorite moment of jarring capitalism was for a local community college, which prompted my note: Your mom goes to Tarrant County Community College. So <laughs> <laughs> I got. For what it's worth, that that's something that got quoted to death. That line was fucking hysterical, just like with the lameness with which it was delivered with the first time I saw it. Uh, like, 
just out of because I, I also saw it before everyone was quoting it, and so that was just like out of Lucky. nowhere, you know. Like it was just like, oh my god, <laughs> that was good. Um, favorite line. Uh. My favorite line, I had a runner-up because I really wanted to do um, everything that Rex Kwando said. I know you said he was out of place in the movie, but he was still very funny. Uh, <laughs> the physical comedy in the scene where he's trying to get Kip to like show God. something, where he's like, grab my arm, the other arm, yes. my other arm. <laughs> that was brilliant. Oh my God, it's so funny. Um, but I gotta go with a line that I didn't know was there until this most recent watch through it is from the song that I sung for you guys in the beginning sure the world wide web is great but you you make me salivate 11 out of 10 perfect line always and forever (laughs) (laughs) that song's amazing um my favorite line I've I've got to go with, uh, this was easily the funniest to me this time. And just like the context of using it as an icebreaker with a girl you like. <laughs> <laughs> I see you're drinking 1%. Is that because you think you're fat? Because you're not. You could be drinking whole if you wanted. <laughs> so fucking just, just the, the, the. I've never seen such like it's like it's like one of the only times in the movie where Napoleon is Ooh. trying to be nice and he's like so misguided in his efforts that like it, it even implies that like maybe he legitimately does not know how to be nice. <laughs> like maybe it's like a confusing concept for him that he doesn't understand. You know he thinks he nailed that shit. Yeah. <laughs> you could be that's what every girl wants to hear. Treat yourself to the whole milk because you can what afford it. What kind of it. milk they could be drinking? <laughs> yeah. You can afford the calories of whole milk. You're you're looking good. That's right, baby. All right, Denny, what's your uh, critic or score for this bad boy? I bumped it up in the discussion. I actually uh, was. I decided to fail it with a twenty nine. Before the show, I bumped it up to a thirty. I'm gonna give it a thirty three. Um, not okay. not a crazy high grade, but. I, I think it is, you know, despite a lot of obvious flaws, I think it's very endearing. Um, I do think it was a tastemaker. I really do. Like, this is a tastemaker of a movie, and that gets it a few bonus points from me. Um, you know, like, despite the fact that it's literally paced like my high school film fest movies that were <laughs> they were way over time, and we were told we had to cut things, and we, like, went to fucking war with our theater teacher, and we're like, nothing can be cut this all matters and then like even within like a year we were like none of that matters it's just a bunch of stupid shit we thought was funny all of it could have been cut there's no there's no significant anything <laughs> in this whole movie um like that's, that's I, and that's probably why i liked this movie so much at the time um but you know it was amazing when this style was fresh i don't think it's quite stood the test of time but i think you got to respect it and you got to throw it some love 33 yeah, it's an OG for sure. Um, yeah, I'll just echo everything Denny said, minus the filmmaking stuff and arguing with the theater teacher because I didn't do that because I didn't make anything in high school. I was <laughs> just there. You made the ladies wet. I can. Mm, 
<laughs> you don't know. They, they don't always tell you. <laughs> but you might have. It's an infalsifiable claim at the very least. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, press X to doubt. Um, <laughs> yeah, everything you said... Uh, maybe it doesn't stand the test of time, but I respect it. Uh, I gave this one a 30 out of 40. Ooh. Is that what I gave it? You you that told me wrong. 29 before the show. Yeah, uh, it's a 29. I'm sorry. You're right. I had it in the spreadsheet wrong. I'm sorry, everybody. It, it Yeah, it's it's a 29. I'm sorry. Napoleon Dynamite's a 29. Regardless, still it. a much higher score than I would have expected you to give it. Like, that's a... That's, uh... For, for a movie that's very outside of your taste um, that you also had a reason to personally resent and like one of the only things you know really valuable about it is how quotable it is um, and that didn't work for you brother as Hulk Hogan would say when asked to lose a match um, <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't have expected you to rate it that high I'm glad you enjoyed it no I hear if you actually slip the guy like 50 bucks though He'll get you all the seamless edits. Ooh, but isn't that like a felony? <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. You've been gone for five seconds. <laughs> and we're, we're here to talk about the cable guys. We continue to talk about movies that you guys wanted to hear us talk about. <laughs> Crowd pleasers, it's us! Yay! We love the audience, and Boy, we're here do to talk we. about the Cable Guy, a movie from 1996 that you can watch on the Stars with a Z app, <laughs> which I, I think, did. I think it's in a couple other places too, but like that's 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 the main one. Is Stars yeah. with a Z? I always forget we have Stars until until I need it, and then I'm like, oh, that's nice. I subbed for this for one movie like six months ago and forgot to unsubscribe, but here it is coming in handy. Yeah, and I certainly didn't get a username and password from you guys at all to also watch movies for this podcast. No siree. <laughs> we would, would never... never do such a thing. No, no, no. Good boys only. I didn't even know you had that. Danny, <laughs> <laughs> who do you think keeps turning on subtitles? Uh, <laughs> Denny... What is your relationship with the Jim Carrey film from 1996 called The Cable Guy, directed by Ben Stiller, by the yeah, way? Yeah, yeah. We do stand still. We do, we do. We still stand stiller. Um, this was on my list of annual movies to watch the first year that I made it. Oh. Um, not this year. Um, that was the first excited. time I saw it, and... I had always heard that it really sucked, but was intrigued by it. And more on that, um, because there's there's something very very interesting about this movie that we'll get into. Um, Ooh, I can't wait. I I really enjoyed it. Tease the audience. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed Crowd it the first the first time I watched it, and I enjoyed it even more the second time I watched it. I think it's uh, one of the most underrated movies ever. And easily a top five Jim Carrey performance. Um, and a, a top five Jim Carrey movie, too. Uh, we're we're going to hit number one in this episode, so don't worry. Um, yeah. <laughs> You're goddamn right we are. Um, but yeah, that, I've, I've seen it twice, both in my adult life. Um, what about you? I had 
never actually seen this movie. Oh shit! Um, we we were family friends with uh, some people from church when I was growing up, and like they had uh, three daughters that were older than my brother and I, and they would babysit us, and we would like go over to their house and everything, and they had a like a VHS copy of this movie. And, like, I just saw it once or twice, like, on the shelf. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is obviously a horror movie. I'm not watching it. And then I never watched it mm-hmm. until yesterday. Nice. <laughs> so yesterday was my first time watching it because I saw the cover art for it. And I was like, oh, this is just a horror movie. It does look I, like I'm a I'm a little movie. kid. No thanks. Yep, yep. Um, brief synopsis. Uh, Matthew Broderick is sad. Um and then Jack Black tells him to give $50 to his cable guy to get all the porno channels so he can jerk off while he's so sad. Um, and so sad. yeah, sad tissues, not happy tissues. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he does so. Turns out the cable guy is an absolute maniac who abuses power um, and basically tries to control his life with escalating situations where he's leveraging more and more and more. Um, then we find out he's like a true fucking psychopath, uh, like gets Matthew Broderick arrested, uh, uh, infiltrates his family, uh, starts pretty much dating his ex-girlfriend. Um, and then he tries after revealing some childhood trauma tries to fling himself on the satellite dish from which is his only source of connection with the world um, and fails to impale himself, just injures himself and uh, <laughs> he kind of disappears into the crowd as he's being care flighted out and looks like he's about to try this whole thing again with his uh, with his paramedic. So, uh, my, yeah, my, oh, a modern day Hannibal actor. Go ahead. My, my opening question is uh, did your parents see this movie did it traumatize them, and is that why they were too scared to get you cable? I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm seeing my parents on Sunday, and I will ask them if they've ever seen this movie. Cool, cool, cool. No, no, no. Yeah. I, I think I know the answer, no matter what the truth is. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, uh, I... You're on the phone. <laughs> I think we all know you're scared of old uh, what's his name Chip. Uh, we all know that you're you're still shaken up, and I'm here to tell you, Jim Carrey. There's no such thing as Jim Carrey. There's no does, such thing. As he doesn't Jim exist. Carrey. You're safe. <laughs> Jim Carrey isn't real. He can't hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> um. So this this is the interesting tidbit about this movie. I wanted to get oh, into. Oh, thank God. Yeah, yeah. Please. So, please. um. There was a smear campaign from the industry for this movie, and it's what, part what of industry? The, the movie industry? The, the movie industry, not the cable okay. industry. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's part of why it has a reputation as a bad movie, um, because at the time, Jim Carrey got paid more than any comedy actor had ever been paid to do this movie. So they mm-hmm. were pissed that they were essentially raising oh, the. Uh, yeah raising the price tag of all leading men in comedies because Jim Carrey was such a hot property at the time that he made more money than anyone had ever been made, been paid to do what he does. So the, the, the film industry like started like collaborating to spread disinformation that this movie sucks and you shouldn't go see it. 
because they wanted it to fail and then they wouldn't have to pay comedy actors that much anymore. Um, and I, I, I think that on some level it worked. I actually haven't looked up the, the box office yeah, for it. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I feel like I have heard this story before because yeah. this came out in 96 and this was like hot on the heels of like 1994 uh, Jim Carrey might be the most successful year of any actor in history like we'll, we'll have to maybe like take a look at Tom Hanks's career or something I mean, but yeah, like I think The Rock is gonna be in there <laughs> well just like well hold on let me read you the movies he was in 1994 Jim Carrey was in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, The Mask, Dumb and Dumber. Wow. I, I, and I think those all came out within, like, just a few months of each other. God, he that's was his year. Hit after hit after hit. Like, that all coming insane. out at the exact same time. And, like, and then, you know, 95, we get uh, an Ace Ventura sequel, and then we get Batman Forever, where he played the Riddler. Like, Ace... <laughs> Ace Ventura and, like, all these movies just propelled Jim Carrey to his absolute peak. And then the cable guy in 96 yep. was his next thing. And Yeah, I see why the price tag was so high and why maybe the movie industry was like, uh, maybe we don't want your quote to be that high, even if the movie sucks. <laughs> I still get made, I still get paid two million bucks. It's funny because I, I don't know this off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure the quote was two mil. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Um, that's just working from memory, though. Um, the The budget was 47 million. Uh, domestic gross was 60 million. World, okay. Worldwide gross was 102. So, okay. Uh, I'm definitely glad it didn't completely far, succeed. Far from a failure, but I think you know Jim Carrey in the mid 90s. You would have expected it to do buku bucks you know like absolutely yeah. insane numbers um, starting with bees kind of dollars yeah and i do remember like I, I know a lot of people who love this movie um i know a lot of people who've been like oh i heard it's trash you know like i, I do mm. think on like listen I'm, I'm not gonna say it's one of the best movies all time but it's pretty damn far from trash it's it's a it's a really good movie man oh yeah, 20 I, 20 mil jim carrey got paid 20 mil wow that's significant. <laughs> oh my god! Hey, good for him. Get that bag. Whatever, dude. Fuck it. Just hell yeah. That rocks. <laughs> Matthew Broderick was paid two mil. I'm not sure this was before or after his, I... uh, the time he killed two people while driving drunk. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> this IMDb, IMDb trivia says um, when Jim Carrey was negotiating his twenty mil. Um, he insisted that his attorney and two managers all wear Ace Ventura dressing gowns so as not to lose their sense of perspective. <laughs> <laughs> Holy sh Is that the most Jim Carrey thing you've ever heard? Uh, of course it is. I gotta read more trivia about, like, uh, Man in the Moon, though. Oh, for sure. Oh, man. Um, well, yeah, let's... You want to get into the movie real quick? Let's, let's do it, man. Let's do it. It's it's a movie let's talk about it yeah ah man gen z will have no clue what the fuck this is even about yes <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is just like a series of antiquated and outdated tech and like just things it's just like you know you've got you've got cable like the whole premise of the plot is based around like installing cable yeah they're not gonna know what that's about 
answering machines. You got pagers. You got Matthew Broderick. Nobody's going to know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> if you show this movie now. And, and yet, and this is what I love so much about it, because uh, in so many ways it's so dated. Um, I, Dude, I go back and I watch Ace Ventura, and I'm like, I can't believe... I in the world thought this was like the funniest thing ever made. Like, holy shit, this did not age well at all. Mm -hmm. I go back and watch this, and I'm like, I would like every single joke landed with me, man. Like, it really did. Like, I thought it was a like a very time 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 tested movie. Um, I thought it was really really funny, despite how insanely dated it was, and. I didn't see it until I was like 28, so that's not just the nostalgia talking, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was um, recently. How did, uh, how did the comedy land with you? Um, not super not strong. So. Well, Greg, this movie was fairly inaccessible to you. I mean, there's DW wasn't bothering people. That, I, I'm not going to pay attention to that sign because I don't know how to read. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you didn't like the comedy? No, it was, it was fine. I, my problems with this movie are not with the comedy. Okay. What are your problems Honestly. with it? Tone. That's about it. I, 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 like you were saying... You had heard from a bunch of people that, like, oh, I heard that either, like, oh, I think it's underrated and I love that movie, or I heard it sucked. I had never heard anything about this movie. I didn't okay. know what it was about or what was going to happen. I didn't know jack shit about this movie until I watched it yesterday. So I had zero expectations. But, you know, I still had it in my head, right? As a kid, I was like, maybe this is kind of a horror movie. Like, that was, like, in the back of my head just from, like, the poster and how I felt, like, as a as a child seeing the poster and everything. So, like, I didn't know what I was going to get. And I feel like this movie... <sighs> I love Ben Stiller. I do, I, too. I love seeing him in everything. Like, we praised him in... Um, was it Fat Camp? That was something named well, the movie Heavyweights. Heavyweights. <laughs> Fat Camp, the movie. That's embarrassing. It wasn't that what? '90s. <laughs> <laughs> they did, they didn't refer to it as Fat Camp frequently in the movie. I'll, I'll give yeah. you that. Just for that, chunky, I'm chunky fucking boba. kids rated PG coming this summer. Uh, that movie, yeah. That's uh, a chunky. <laughs> Yeah, like him in Heavyweights. Like I just love Ben Stiller. Every time he's in something, I'm laughing, and I like the stuff he makes as well. Just mm -hmm. this one didn't really work for me, and I just think I don't want to like go too far ahead in like discussing the narrative of this thing. But it's just like it doesn't commit to the kind of tonal shift in the movie hard enough like mm -hmm. i don't really understand completely like what it's going for or how i'm supposed to be feeling about what jim carrey's motivations are like mm -hmm. i understand them but i feel like the movie is extremely unclear on how i'm supposed to feel about them yeah and it's kind of a twofold thing of like i don't think that the tone is very well established and i 
do not think Matthew Broderick was the right person to play the role of like the gaslit character trying yeah. to tell everybody like what the truth of what's really happening and everyone just thinks he's crazy mm-hmm. right like he's just not for that role so like he's not selling me on what's really going on and simultaneously the movie is not really selling me with how i'm supposed to feel about what's going on so i'm just i feel lost watching it fair enough um you know i i do agree that i think matthew broderick and leslie mann as well were, were kind oh, of i not- love leslie mann I was neutral on her. I just think they were kind of like nothing characters in this movie, especially like you put them up against like Jack Black and Jim Carrey. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I I love Leslie Mann in general. She was fine in this movie, but like I I love her in every other thing I've seen her in. Yeah, she's she's cool. Um, Jim Carrey and Jack Black, like in a movie together in the 90s, like this should have just those two should have just exploded off the screen, which they did. Nothing that was wrong with this movie was their fault at all. Yeah, and it's like, I get it, like, you need to give them some, like, normal people to ground the movie and to give them something to play off of. And, like, even Jack Black is playing, a, like, a normal guy. You know, like, he's just, mm-hmm. he's Jack Black. He's very He's very Jack Black about even, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's very Jack Black about it is a great way to phrase it. Um, <laughs> he's just, he just has that charisma. He's not, Jack, Jack Black's not a normal guy, okay, people, like... He's, he's not an everyman. He's a very unique dude. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I get that you wanted to kind of dial down, you know, our, our two more human characters, but I think they might have dialed them down a little too much. Um, I, I think they could have had some more life yeah. to them. I think so. And that's, that's what I mean by, like, the undercommitment to the tone. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just like... No, normally I wouldn't I would be stressed out in a movie like this right mm-hmm. like a movie where the whole crux of the comedy is like oh the the funny character is completely fucking up the entire life of our protagonist yeah I hate that shit it's so stressful to me I don't like it at all I get like such severe secondhand embarrassment from movies like that stay away from what about Bob roger that <laughs> but like this movie doesn't fully commit to that so it's just like a scaled back version of something i don't like so you know do i like it or dislike it i don't i don't know really how i'm feeling or how i'm supposed to feel it's just i i feel confused i guess i'm help me clarify these things denny i i can but first i want to i just want to comment on something because i do think i have some clarification on the tone bring it um, but what i wanted to comment on first was i i applaud you sir um as someone who 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 gets uncomfortable with secondhand embarrassment um that you that you bravely like nathan for you um because most most people who have that who have that uh that instinct in them cannot sit through that show and i know you love it that's it's just so it's such an anomaly to me i i want to discuss that maybe on another platform because Mm -hmm. i really want to think out my feelings about why i feel the like so positively about that show despite everything like every fiber of my personality saying that i should hate it yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) some somehow that shit just clicks with me but yeah we'll (laughs) we'll we'll discuss another time 
It is more clear about the tone than this. Um, <laughs> um, the main funny character does go around and make everyone's life terrible, though, with with um, false businesses. It's basically the cable guy, the more I think about it. Um, ah. It's the cable guy mixed with the tone of Napoleon Dynamite. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, th- this is what I wanted to maybe 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 uh, uh, lend a machete to your thicket about the tone. I don't know if I'm if I'm going to hit it on the money, but th- it's something that I love about the movie is that I- I've never seen a movie ever before this or after it attempt to be a comedy thriller, um, and I think it's mm-hmm. because maybe those two genres don't mix very well. Um, yeah, okay. And yet, I I, I I, don't have, like, it's kind of like going back to American Psycho of, like, I don't know if I can break down why, but I can tell you it worked for me. You know, like, I I, I was very impressed with, like, to me, it, uh, it struck me as subversive. They kind of lure you into a false sense of security with the comedy aspects, and it's Jim Carrey being silly and overacting. And then it gets, like, dark and uncomfortable and really fucked up. And then, like, when he's, um, when, when he's, like, they're, they're showing him through the peephole and he's, like, charging the door. I felt mm-hmm. fear. Like, that was intimidating and scary. Um, yeah. And so. I... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was, in, instead of inconsistent, it strikes me as subversive. You know, like, it doesn't strike me as, like, broken. It's just uh, just a little a little sneaky, I suppose. It kind of kind of plays on the audience's expectations, and I really liked it. Oh, that's good. I, I'm very glad you felt that way. Uh, that scene in particular, I was gonna say, is it felt more like a reference to like a Freddy Krueger movie. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which I th- this movie is like full of references. He does do the Friday the Thirteenth soundtrack, which you know. Immediate he he does that like immediately after another reference and I can't remember what it was but like yeah. a lot of these feel like references for the sake of references mm-hmm. but I don't I don't hate it um I, I was gonna say like yeah it is subversive but I feel like I need to be invested more in at least one of the characters before you start like switching genres or like uprooting my expectations of what I'm getting because I I think I'm getting like for the first hour I was like oh little did I know this is actually like a classic movie of unlikely friendship and you know like the square loop it's like an Adam Sandler movie where like he plays just like this guy that everybody loves but like our main character just can't stand him because he's so annoying and then they just end up friends at the end mm-hmm. which isn't something i particularly like all that much but yeah. yeah i thought i was getting that and then it just takes this turn into the thriller that you're talking about and i feel like i didn't get properly invested in the first bit so i was more confused by this like the last 30 40 minutes of it if that makes sense I think that's fair, and I, I think, you know, a critique I would give the movie is um, to do what they were trying to do, 
to make it like really work to take it from like hey a niche weird guy like Denny who loves TV so much that it's not that hard to please him um, <laughs> if you make a movie about TV culture um, <laughs> um, I think something that would take it from generalized good to great territory would be like this was a this was a story that cheers um, this was a story that demanded. Okay, here come the cheers. Here's the build-up. This is a story that demanded... Cheers. What, Denny? <laughs> um, it, it demanded a less surface-level approach. And I think that's their error, is like... They mm-hmm. they tried to keep it like those 90 unlike, 90s unlikely friends comedies. Um, and that works in the beginning, and it's... It's not the best one of them, but it's 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 okay, right? And then to me, I'm like, oh, this is getting really interesting when it starts getting dark. But I, I think they still uh-huh. they still stuck to that same um, superficiality, and the whole movie feels very '90s glossy, you know. Like, and I think I think visually, you could have given us a little more to indicate the tone change, other than rain, you know. Like, I, I think. Um, <laughs> We do love '90s glossy, but yeah. Yeah, I, I love it, but it's it's also hard to care about it because it just like it brings me into this um, this very rose tinted time in American culture where like everything was just coming up roses, and and the American people are completely unaware of all the horrible things happening in the world because they're isolated in a tiny little bubble of prosperity, um, and. You know, it, it, I think this is a deeper script than that. I, I really do, and I think you, you a, a lot got left on the table with with the um, with just with the character Chip. Um, I, I think there was, and, and it's a movie about him, right? That's that's the thing. Matthew Broderick is the protagonist. Mm-hmm. What's the movie called? Uh, Godzilla. No, Greg. Oh, the cable guy. Fucking idiot. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> do you even pay attention while we do this shit? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Matthew Broderick's the protagonist, but the movie's called The Cable Guy. Uh-huh. And the movie is about the cable guy. And yet, we're seeing it through Matthew Broderick's eyes, and we only know what Matthew Broderick knows about Chip, right? Um, maybe it would have worked better from Chip's perspective. Because there's there's a lot to there's yeah. a lot to sympathize with him about, but also a lot to reprimand him about. And if you're making Joker, you're twisted first of all. Um, Ooh, but, twisted! I'm but, gonna get damage tattooed on my forehead. <laughs> there, there's a way for that to work, right? Like there's a way that it that it can uh, really resonate with a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. Not not getting damage tattooed on your forehead. I don't. Ah, boo! I don't think a single person in the world resonated I wanna with that. Send other than dead Jared rats Leto. to my. I'm going to send dead rats to my co-stars. <laughs> nah, man, I haven't shat on Jared Leto I'm, for a while. <laughs> I'm, oh, maybe it's time, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> we had him in two movies a couple weeks ago. Two movies where he did good too. He did good in those movies. So Fuck, I had yeah. to give. Him, I had to give him his props where they were due. Yeah, um, I guess so. Those dead rats weren't props. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think there's there's maybe a different approach to this same movie that, that could work a lot better. 
Um, or, or at yeah. least like it, it's a it's a good is the enemy of great thing. I, I've been clear that I'm very appreciative of this movie and it works for me, but I, I can recognize and validate that uh, maybe I bring a unique perspective to the table and uh, maybe that's not a universal experience, right? Like I, I can see why it would mm-hmm. be. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I I think what you're saying about like having this movie or this story told from Jim Carrey's character's perspective would be a lot more interesting. Mm-hmm. But it's just so weird that even though it is from Matthew Broderick's perspective, just like this turn he takes where he like shoes away yeah. Jim Carrey's character, it's just like, wait, what are you doing? It's just like you're starting to see like the genuine bond kind of form. Yeah. And he's just like, we're not really friends. Fuck off. Yeah. And it's just a really jarring and weird scene and that's where that like shift kind of happens and it's just like I'm I'm not buying the premise of the shift itself mm-hmm. uh, as well as like the the tone of it like I already discussed but just I don't know it's just the the twist and turns that the story takes are just too weird for me and they don't really make a lot of sense and they don't really happen organically that's that's really fair and now that I'm thinking about it you know, to, to look at it through a meta lens, because it's 2022, and we look at everything through that lens. Um, what the what what the audience likes? Hey, cool! I got cool, my meta goggles. Cool on. meta goggles. Um, Boy, I wish we had video. Yeah, we should do that one time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we did it for our pig episode. The yeah. audience is fine. Um, still waiting on that twentieth view. <laughs> Take us all the way to twenty. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> um, what was I saying? Oh, no, no, no. From a meta perspective, like, for, for what the audience is experiencing, we don't know anything about Jim Carrey that Matthew Broderick doesn't know, right? Mm-hmm. And yet, Jim Carrey is what we like about this movie. So, when Matthew Broderick is shunning him, you have the protagonist trying to take away something the audience likes. Um, mm-hmm. this should not be. I'm going to resent the protagonist simply on, like, principle because I want to see more of Jim Carrey, right? Like, that's yeah, that's that, a bad that's... move. I'm supposed to root for him getting rid of what I like about the movie. <laughs> that's, that's I guess that's part of my problem, too, is just like, okay, so now that this has happened, why am I rooting for this guy? <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, you know, if... if uh, you're watching Ninja Turtles, and eventually Raphael was like, Michelangelo, like, go away. You're annoying. No, I'm being serious, man. Like, it's not a thing. Just, like, get 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 off the screen for a couple scenes. Get go the away. Fuck off the, get the fuck off my porch. Yeah, exactly, right? It's like, well, fuck that. I like Michelangelo. He's the best part, right? Like, you just can't do that. You have too many fucking nunchucks. Get the <laughs> fuck off my porch. <laughs> Hey, speaking of, uh, you want to talk about someone who had nunchuck skills, Napoleon. Sewer Fight Club. Michelangelo oh. was a party dude. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about, Cable Guy? Cable Guy? Um, it was very 90s of them to subtitle a murder trial in a quirky font. Did you pick that up? Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> like, what the <laughs> fuck was that? I think I was more focused on, like... It's something I loved. It's something I really loved. Was just the whole murder trial. Oh, fantastic! Was it, it was such a oh my god. If Ben Stiller is going to put himself in the movie at all, 
this was the funniest and most perfect way to do it. It was fucking awesome and hilarious. Yeah. There was like he plays like a twin from like a canceled sitcom where they were like successful as like young kids and yeah. then one of them murders the other. God, it's so good. Brother <laughs> Sweet so Brother. Good. Like like Dude. Brother Sweet Brother is a movie I would totally watch. It's so fucking funny. Because, like, in my head, right, I had this as a horror movie, and I thought they were, like, teasing, right, like, the evil br- twin brother was going to, like, break out of jail and, like, interfere with the plot. But no, it was just, like, this wild trial that was happening on TV. And I think it's so funny. I I loved that bit. Yeah, and... It really worked for me, especially the first time I watched it, um, because you, you see, like, in the beginning, when we're seeing a lot of stuff on cable, and they show, like, they show the mugshot of Ben Stiller, and, you know, as a Ben Stiller fan, I'm like, oh, cool, little director cameo, that's neat, um, mm-hmm. and then, like, it just keeps evolving into more and more, you know, like, when all I thought, I didn't think I was getting, like, a a Ben Stiller performance, you know, um, the fucking nine one one call, <laughs> fan fucking tastic. Um, like you said the nine one one call with like the goofy font subtitle. <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, if you if you want to do if you want to do racism in comedy, you make the comedy making fun of someone who is racist. You don't you don't yes. say racism is funny. You make fun of a racist person, and that and that's yes. what they did, right? It really worked. Um, what if instead I had a white character say the N word for shock value? What What is this? Two thousand five. I think that was in uh, all of them Ooh. around that time. <laughs> like, that that, could, that could be anyone, Greg. That could be anyone in, in mid two thousands comedy. I'm sorry, I should have been more specific about which movie we've covered that did that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just stretch his color. Let's just let's just focus more on how uh, Ron Ron Tater Salad White um, said that about Jeff Foxworthy for shock value at the, at the Comedy Central roast of Jeff Foxworthy. He called him the N word. He said, "You'll always be my expletive." Oh, oh boy, I didn't. That's know how he like this. closed out his uh, uh, closed out his little roast bit called him a cracker on live television are you yes. serious and the, the white community was offended all, uh, all white people stopped watching blue collar comedy tour <laughs> sure they did <laughs> could have saved us uh, a couple larry the cable guy movies if this were true <laughs> there's, there's an oh i like cars <laughs> if, if if time travel ever becomes a thing i don't like cars by the way um if time travel ever becomes a thing i'm gonna go back to that roast um movies spoiled by their one word titles don't give me that face cars cats robocop um (laughs) (laughs) um, i'm I'm gonna go get ron white to say cracker and then i'm gonna virtue signal to the white community about how we have to cancel the blue collar comedy tour um just just to make a better future for all of us <laughs> just get this just is, get them off the grid as soon as possible this is such a weird aside i don't know how to transition from it. <laughs> <laughs> um i popped for a jean janine garofalo cameo she's one of my yes! favorite performers and she's not in a ton of things um 
And then she was in the same scene as our Andy Dick cameo. Yeah, that was a cameo-rich scene. Um, Who called that out on Facebook? Somebody mentioned that. Was that Dylan? It was Dylan. Dylan Derryberry. Yeah. Clusterfuck yeah, participant yeah, yeah. Dylan Derryberry. We do love Dylan. We do love Dylan on this podcast. Dylan, Dylan make a podcast. Dylan, we, we pitched a podcast for you to make in, in our text messages to each other today. We, we have several names workshopped. Um... Uh, we we really want you to make a horror movie podcast called uh, Very Scary Dairy Berry. <laughs> it's, it's like we yeah. we really th- we were talking about how much we, I know Dylan listens to this, so I'm going to talk directly to him. We we're talking about how much we like your reviews and how you're more qualified to make a movie review podcast than we are, and mm-hmm. we think you should make your own. Um, <laughs> that, that's just that's just a little nugget for all the Dylan Dairy Berries out there listening to this. Um, that's right. <laughs> aside. Um, I really want to see Nick Cage and Jim Carrey in a movie together. That's, did, you, that's, did you see my face? Yeah, that's how I'm segueing. <laughs> wow, what would it? Ooh, wow, what would it? Ooh, wow, what would it even be about? I don't. It, does that? It doesn't the, matter. We'll ask that question way later in the pre-production they, process. Them, Get them both on board, and we'll go from there. I'll let them decide. Especially like Jim Carrey now, when he can like turn on '90s Jim Carrey when he's in the mood, but he can also be like wise mountain sage uh, Jim Carrey that like the entertainment industry needs to listen to. You know, <laughs> like. <laughs> And then Nick Cage will show up with just, like, self-awareness and raw fucking talent. Yes. God. That would be oh so fucking good. Um, ooh, I'll, I'll give a critique. Uh, you know, I, I feel like we're kind of winding down unless you have more stuff. But I, nope. I want to agree with you because I've been so positive on this movie. Yeah, stop it. At a certain point, it got really hard to believe that Matthew Broderick wouldn't go to the cops. <laughs> like they they kind of tried to like uh get ahead of that by like showing that Jim Carrey bought off like one a of, lot of the cops. Yeah, like at least one of the guards, but it was like the guard and the the cop that was at the karaoke party. Right, right, that's right. But it's like do you believe to tell do you mean to tell me he runs this town? Like he owns the police like mm-hmm. through cable, <laughs> like free cable. Come the fuck on. Like uh, it, it got hard to believe that there wasn't a way out of this for our protagonist. Um, it, it took me out of it a little bit. No, totally understandable. Um, yeah, man. Uh, I'm I'm ready to get into gimmicks let's, if you are. Let's do it, man. Uh, right. What's your gimmick of the week? Your crowd pleaser moment. My favorite crowd pleaser is at the end of the movie. We're fighting on a radar dish that Jim Carrey says is like uh, the scene from GoldenEye. Sadly, that radar dish that I've been to in Puerto Rico oh. is no longer intact. It collapsed oh, a couple years back. Oh, no. So it was uh, in in GoldenEye. It was set in Cuba, but that uh, radar dish is actually in Puerto Rico, and it is... One of the uh, support structures collapsed a couple years back, and it's no longer there. That so, sucks. Rest in peace to the Arecibo uh, radio telescope facility. Rest in power. Rest in power. I'll share pictures. Uh, <laughs> I was there. But um, my favorite crowd pleaser moment is Jim Carrey 
sliding down that radar dish on his tummy like a penguin. God, that was great. And going into the water and quoting Waterworld. <laughs> I was just... I was elated when he did that. I think I missed the Waterworld quote. What did he say? Uh, he quoted it like... Some, he said something about dry land, and then he's like, ah, people don't like Waterworld, but I've seen it six times. It's a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> It says something like that. It's so fucking good, dude. <laughs> what, uh, what, uh, what about you, guy? Um, you know, uh, for a personal crowd pleaser, it was hearing Jim Carrey do the ch 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 because ah, 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 I'm, a, I'm a big Friday the 13th mark. Um, kill, kill, kill. But in general... Mm, ma, ma, ma. <laughs> there we go. That's that's the deep cut. That's oh, Real fans know that's what Harry had, Manfredini was saying. <laughs> you had two episodes to figure out what we were talking about. <laughs> um, and there will be another one. Oh, there will be many more. Many more. For all of eternity. Um, <laughs> my, my crowd pleaser moment's going to go to um, early in the movie in an opening uh, montage-esque bit. We see Matthew Broderick uh, doing a shower scene where he's shampooing his hair a la Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, oh! Uh, I, find, I, I felt intentional. Uh, so I, I'm going to go with that. That sounded like a, a little a little Easter egg for all you uh, for all you people out there in TV land who are connecting dots. Maybe it wasn't, but it yeah. felt intentional to me. I like that uh, he checked to make sure the water was hot before turning on the shower head and jumping in the shower. Unlike psycho <laughs> where our lead actress just hopped in there and turned it on who does that like a real psycho <laughs> that's what the movie was about what's uh what's your favorite line gregoru uh well normally my favorite line from the cable guy would be get her done Jesus Christ. <laughs> i forgot you told me you were gonna do that joke no i didn't <laughs> But my my favorite line, I just loved it. It's from the beginning when he sets up Matthew Broderick's cable and Jim Carrey says, you might want to get a swimsuit because you'll be channel surfing in no time. God, so good. <laughs> yeah, I liked it a God. lot. This is, this is the hardest time I've had picking a favorite line in a long time um, because mm -hmm. I think literally everything Jim Carrey says, like every word out of his mouth is just gold to me. Like it, it's... A really funny script with an even funnier performer bringing it to life and i'm sure he improv quite a bit because he's jim carrey um it just so so good um i'm gonna give a a, a runner-up to my girl janine garofalo um Aww. there were no utensils during medieval times hence there are no utensils at medieval times would you like a refill on that pepsi <laughs> just uh, really really put medieval times on blast <laughs> um, <laughs> um another runner-up to something i would like to get tattooed on my body which is free cable the ultimate aphrodisiac because um, that <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm all about it. But uh, my, my number one, which was just so, so funny to me, it's when they're playing Porno Password and he's trying to get um, Leslie Mann to guess, uh, to guess nipple. And he keeps going hard, hard. And she goes, erection? And he goes, no, but thank you for noticing. <laughs> I 
laughed so hard at that and then like covers his lap with a pillow like he's all bashful. <laughs> I thought that was great, man. Um, I was like, if I ever hear someone say erection with a question mark, I've got to make sure I remember this line. And hope I don't have an erection when I do that bit. Because <laughs> I will do the bit. That's right. <laughs> what's, uh, what's your Critiker score? Oh, man. My Critiker score... Uh, it's This is just a movie that's not for me, man. I didn't grow up with it. And it wasn't really a hit for me. Yeah, at this point in time, I gave this one... like. I respect it. I love a lot of the performances. I don't like the protagonist performance. There's aspects I love. I love Ben Stiller. I've said all this. I'm giving it a 20 out of 40. Damn. You failed it. It's it's on the halfway mark, so it is a failing grade. But uh, there's things I liked, but there's just, there's just nothing really there for me that makes me ever want to watch it again. I, Sad to say. I, I think there's a... Uh there's one that you'll you'll like a lot more that's more your speed um it's called the pbs guy um the 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 rabbit ears guy where he'll he'll go around and forge donations is it my dad (laughs) (laughs) turns out he's a crazy nice dude it's actually just mr rogers giving people free rabbit ears so they can watch his program it's just a movie about my dad Okay, it's all set up. Tube TV. No strings attached. Call me if you have any issues. You're all my preferred customers. You can plug the N64 into the back of this. (laughs) (laughs) All right, cool. I love that. But don't tangle those cords, young man. And I didn't. That would get a 40. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, uh... I, I did give this movie... I bumped it up from a 38 to a 40 out of 50... Uh, because of its subversiveness and things that I think are really smart. And um, I just appreciated Jim Carrey's comedy on another level in this movie. Um, Hmm. Honestly, man, I think all the critiques you raised and that I raised are very valid. And this is one of those where it's just like, for me, I'll still say good is the enemy of great. I think they had the potential to do something all-time absolute classic with this movie. Um, Mm -hmm. and And they missed that, but... To me, it's just the, the sum's greater than the whole of the parts. I can talk about how, like, Matthew Broderick and Leslie Mann are just completely flat, nothing characters, and Matthew Broderick's pretty unlikable. Um, I mean, it's not a high-fidelity situation, but he's certainly not a likable protagonist. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I look at all those things, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I don't really give a shit about any of that. <laughs> you know? Like, it's just like... The, the things that work for me work so much more than the things that don't work. Um, so, yeah, I gave it a 40. 40 out of 50. I like this movie a lot. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to it that it's a, a hidden gem and an underrated classic that deserves more street cred, as the kids are saying, 20 years ago. More, more street sharks, yeah. It does right. deserve more street sharks, and I think we all do if we've been good. I know, I know we got a late start because of me, um, and I know that this is our last movie, and I know you've just got to be thinking to yourself, damn, Charlie Kaufman, some of us have work in the morning. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm thinking. <laughs> is that a seamless edit? Because it sure sounds like it. I was trying to tee it up. 
little bit. Yeah, a little bit. You did it. Every so often, I bring something to the table. <laughs> I'll throw you a bone every once in a while, my guy. <laughs> All right, we're here. We're back once again. These boys don't slack. Yeah, we were. Denny and Greg are here. For, <laughs> I don't know bars. Uh, Denny and Greg are here for <laughs> for whatever it is we do. <laughs> this we do this. We discuss movies. For example, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mm. Ooh, for those of us who haven't had enough Jim Carrey for one episode, or enough David Cross because he was also that's right. It, he was also in the Cable Guy. He's like blinking, you miss him, but he's there. Eh, he's I there. forgot. Yeah. Jim Carrey's also in the Cable Guy. Did you know that? Blink and you miss it, man. But yeah, if you pay, <laughs> if you pay very close attention, um, you can see him in some of the frames. Yeah, it's a little Easter egg for <laughs> <laughs> eagle-eyed viewers may notice. Uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is a 2004 film. That's two movies this episode from 2004. Ooh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, this in Napoleon Dynamite. Which is better? We're about to find out. It's this one. Uh, <laughs> you can watch this movie on Stars, And um, I also, I found out from, like, when I was trying to watch YouTube videos about this movie earlier today, you can just watch the movie on YouTube because apparently every few hours someone's trying to upload it onto YouTube. <laughs> I, I, you for know, free, so fuck it. I, it's it's not much, but it's honest work, right? I, I respect the dedication. It's also not <laughs> honest work. It's illegal. It's very dishonest work. <laughs> it is not much, and it's very dishonest work. <laughs> but hey, we're not telling you to watch it there, but I'm just telling you where it is. Do you think it's some? I watched like, it on Stars. They lost their job because they had work in the morning when they were trying to watch a Charlie Kaufman film. And so now they're they're trying to like get get revenge by making this film accessible to everyone, and so they can watch it at any hour that they want. They don't have to stay up too late, past their bedtimes. That's right. Past <laughs> their bedtimes. That's right. Oh my goodness gracious! All right, Denny. Um, I'm gonna let you go ahead and summarize the plot for this Charlie Kaufman written film. Eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Yeah, um, you know I, it's it's hard to summarize because it's it's not a it's not a linear story. Um, basically, we we open the movie on uh, these characters Joel and uh, Clementine who meet each other at the beach in Montauk, um, and they immediately start falling in love. Crazy when you have that kind of chemistry. Um, mm -hmm. And then as as the movie progresses, we start to find out that. These characters have actually been through a very horrific and terrible breakup of a two-year relationship that had lots of ups and downs that neither of them remembers because they had their memories erased of the relationship. Whoa! Um, On purpose. Yep. And we, we see um, they were trying to forget each other because um, they hurt each other so badly. We see that, um, you know, we kind of find out how that happened. Uh Jim Carrey goes to this company called Lacuna, uh, where they uh, damage your brain and erase your memories in very specific ways. Um, and I think this is honestly probably actually doable if you had the right technology, which I guarantee a company this small wouldn't. Um, but <laughs> um, um, 
So we we spend the majority of the movie in Jim Carrey's dreams as he is experiencing the erasure of Clementine uh, from his memories. Um, and during that, we, we you know just more and more backstory unravels um, as we find out that uh, creepy little bastard Elijah Wood uh, cosplaying as 1999 <laughs> Justin Timberlake. Um, Note, noted creepy bastard Elijah Wood. Yeah. <laughs> Um, in this movie, he's a creepy little bastard. Um, is stealing Jim Carrey's life, uh, or Joel's, Joel Barish's life. This is one where I actually say the character's name, so I'm going to try to do that. He's stealing no, that's fine. Joel Barish's life um, and basically doing all the things that he learned about that, that worked for Clementine and the relationship. He's just copying them, and she doesn't remember any of them. Um, we also find out that uh, uh, Mark Luff Ruffalo and Kirsten Dunst, who I do not say their names, they're just Mark Ruffalo and Kirsten Dunst in this movie, um, <laughs> they um, they are you know partying and kind of fucking up this whole dream memory erasure thing, and we learn that she has it's obvious she has a crush on the doctor who runs the place, but she has actually had an affair with him and had her memory erased and she doesn't take none too kindly to that knowledge when they get busted and she decides she's going to blow the whole operation and uh return everyone's records to them and show them what they had erased um and you know backtracking a little like i said this is hard to synopsisize um even harder mm -hmm. than the word synopsisize uh or synopsis is uh, to turn into a verb uh, in the present progressive tense um <laughs> but uh you know, the midpoint of the movie is when when Joel Barish realizes he doesn't want to have Clementine erased, um, and he's trying to fight to keep her in in his memories, and ultimately realizes he can't. Despite a valiant effort, there he's just outmatched by their machines and their technology. Um, the last thing she says to him in their goodbye in the in the dream, I'm getting emotional. Oh my god, I love this scene so much. Um, she whispered mm. the dream version of her whispers meet me in Montauk which is meant to be taken as just like a it's the place they met it's not actually Clementine saying that to him it's just like a it's something subconscious stuck with him and he just feels compelled to go to Montauk the next morning and apparently so does she uh, and then we're back to where the movie started <laughs> at this point in the synopsis we go back to the beginning of the movie and they realize because of Kirsten Dunst uh, that they've had each other erased from their memories. They get these tapes in, in their doorsteps of them just shit-talking each other and saying everything they hate about each other. And they listen to each other saying all these horrible things about themselves. Um, in front of one another. Yeah. Um, and then they just decide they want to give it another shot. Um, and we roll credits. Uh and there's, there's a lot to unpack in uh, authorial intent versus how this was received. And uh, it's just a fan-fucking-tastic movie, honestly. One of my, one of my all-time favorites. I, I'm, like, I've been waiting to find a reason to do it on this show. Um, and I'm yeah. glad our audience gave us one. Greg, what's your relationship yeah. with the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind? This is a very, very hard movie to summarize yeah. without actually seeing it. Like, describing the plot to somebody that hasn't seen it is basically impossible. Mm -hmm. So, if you haven't seen it, 
just know that if you watch this movie, you're in for an absolute treat. And if you have seen it, um, everything Denny said, I guess, already made sense to you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, <laughs> my relationship is I I watched this movie for the first time, I believe, about 10 years ago. I had a rating already in Critiker from about 10 years ago. I remember watching it and thinking like, okay, I know this is good. I don't get it all the way. Mm-hmm. And like I understood most of the plot points and everything, but like I just didn't really connect with it. Uh-huh. And that was that was about a decade ago. Fast forward to now, like I've lived an entire life of like you know, broken relationships and just like memories of people and I've lived a life in the last decade, so not only do I connect to it more, but like the when I watched it uh, for the second time ever a couple days ago, I I didn't remember a lot of the plot points, so yeah. a lot of the movie was still a surprise to me. Mm. I, I remember like a lot of the visuals of it, but I didn't remember a lot of the uh, story points. So it was kind of like a a brand new watch of the movie, even though I had. I had seen it before mm-hmm. with this brand new perspective and understanding mm-hmm. uh, oh man this just there's just such depth and richness that comes with like watching this movie with like a decade extra life experience yes. under my belt I guess <laughs> yeah yes so my relationship has grown way more fond of this movie so yeah to be I guess we're spoiling it now. I really like this movie also. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I believe I saw this for the first time at a friend of the show, Megan Taylor's house, when I was in college. It was She was very excited to show it to me. Um, she knew it was great. She knew I'd like it. She was 100% right. And she was also there to kind of like uh, Sherpa without spoiling it because, you know, like it's uh, – uh, it's hard to understand, and I'm I'm not a smart man, Greggy. Um, mm. <laughs> but I know what linear storytelling with clear-cut narrative themes is. <laughs> um, but um, you know, she she was there to be kind of like, hey, do you notice that like blue dot on his temple? Yeah. Okay, that's gonna make all of this make a lot more sense. So just wait. You know, like um, <laughs> once you understand why, oh, that's kind of fun. why he has a yeah. blue dot on his temple. Like, trust me, I know you're confused right now, but just stick with me here, man. You know, like and so that was she was a good Sherpa. Um, I, I immediately loved the movie, um, and you know, like to 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 I, I've seen it. I, I could not tell you how many times I've seen this movie. It's one of my all time number one, not number one, but like all-time top 10 like one of one of my favorite 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 movies ever made in my life um uh i made in my life that i've ever liked in my life um i i think i think it's probably charlie kaufman's best work um and uh i i you know to kind of get into discussion and to back up what you were saying about uh just a different relationship with the movie um after 10 years of life (laughs) um you know, mm-hmm. when, when I first saw it, it was around the time I was misunderstanding 500 Days of Summer. Um, I was I was very, like, love is real and magical, and I watched Moulin Rouge too much. Um, I just went around <laughs> yelling that every day. Um, 
And I saw them getting back together in the end as something like a powerful, affirming message of like, dude, love wins out. They tried to erase each other from each other's brains. And then they just meet again the next day because they're supposed to be together. Um, and then like, I actually thought it was really cool um, and, I, and I still like this take um, on the movie because I, I don't think it's 100% clear. Uh, it's a lot clearer now what was intended, but um, mm -hmm. that like they hear all of these problems in this relationship and are like completely disillusioned with the idea that it's going to be a permanent honeymoon. You know, like they they know that they've clearly come to absolutely hate each other to the point that they wish they just never met. And then they're just like, okay, well, like, then let's do this relationship, which, you know, on some level reads to me as, like, maybe a, an adjustment on expectations of, you know, like, letting go of your ideal love and actually committing to someone who you will have tons of problems with and tons of conflicts with and learning to love them through that. And I thought that was very powerful. Um, and I think that's how a lot of people took the movie. And I, I don't necessarily think it's a wrong way to take the movie but it is not what charlie kaufman intended um he intended it to be much more grim um which was the idea that these people are stuck in this cycle that they are destined to repeat no matter what and they will mm -hmm. never get out of it um and even if they tried to erase their brains there's something like inborn and biological in them that will make them repeat this cycle um, which is a very, very cynical take on love and romance. And um, I, I can see it more after a decade of life lived. And I can see it more, um, I can see it more like in the intent of the movie. Because as I watched it this time, I noticed that like all of the couples in the movie are toxic and unhappy and terrible. Um, and then, but then mm -hmm. they show us like snippets of, uh, I almost called him Tobias um, of David Cross and uh, <laughs> David Cross and I, I don't know the the actor who who plays his partner. Do you know? Uh, I do not. I'm sorry. They, they show them earlier in the movie and they're like really happy and having fun together. You know, and it's just like, but then every time we see them in the current, they like want to fucking murder each other. You know, like they can't stand each other. It's all just irritable passive aggression with every word they exchange and um you know I, I i see them i see them sowing the seeds of like hey it looks happy in the beginning but it'll devolve into something that's miserable um and you know honestly i think i can get behind that cynical jaded theme if you don't view that as destiny for all relationships because i still even with a decade of life lived and broken relationships and some to quote the american dream dusty mm -hmm. roads some hard times daddy um mm -hmm. <laughs> i am still like man i love my marriage we're so fucking past the honeymoon phase of it you know <laughs> like it's like we we have a really clear idea of the ugly parts of each other at this point you know like um and it's not a toxic thing it's not a miserable thing I, I love my marriage and i think honestly just about everyone i know has a pretty healthy long-term relationship that's pretty grounded you know like at this point in my life i think 
it's not I, I, I can't get behind that theme if it's to say like this is how all relationships will be I can get behind it if it's to say like hey some people will never learn from this cycle and it's sad and dark and some people will just keep doing this forever because that does happen you know like um, yeah. I don't know. What, what are your takes on how did you receive it versus authorial intent? What, what, do, you, what do you make of this now, Greg? Uh, I did want to make it clear that Charlie Kaufman did not direct this movie. Yes. Um, it was directed by a man named Michel Gondry. He's a French director. He directed this movie. He did direct a shitload of uh, music videos. He also did The Science of Sleep, Be Kind, Rewind... Uh, the Green Hornet, but we don't talk about that. Uh, <laughs> the Silence of Sleep, or the the Science of Sleep and Be Kind to Rewind would work as alternative titles for this movie as well. Oh, that's yeah. The Green Haired Hornet, maybe. <laughs> Clementine's hair color. Um, oh man, it's it's a. I wanted to give a shout out to because I, I had to watch a YouTube like video essay on this ATH media is a pretty small channel on YouTube but I, I found this guy's um, video essay on this very I, I, I received it very well I thought he was very intelligent the way he had uh, discussed everything but yeah this he had a you know a video essay and one of the comments really stuck out where it's just like I can't decide if the ending of this movie is a happy ending or a heartbreaking ending. Mm -hmm. And it's it's such a rare occurrence where it's absolutely both. Yeah. It's just like this this movie can mess you up emotionally because you're like you know, narratively you would see this as a happy ending, but like understanding the complete picture of these people's relationship, you're just you know what it's destined for and like authorial intent and like reception i feel like anybody that's watching this movie with like a real understanding of what's going on isn't missing the point i feel like there's no point missed here yeah yeah um this is a very difficult relationship to kind of reconcile how, how things turn out like it's a very fun narrative in terms of like how we were kind of misled right about like where this relationship began and ended mm -hmm. and once we're kind of given all the clues and all the pieces to the puzzle we're just like okay he's he's broken through jim carrey uh has achieved his goal his goal is not one that he wants he really should want to attain like yes yeah. he's being it's not it doesn't feel like he's trapped though like i still feel happy for him because like what else what else is there for him it feels like his life is lost without clementine but we see what his life is also like with her mm -hmm without her who is he really like i really think like as grim as it is to say i feel like this character wouldn't find a reason to stay alive and yeah. <laughs> it feels like she's 
his purpose in a sense sure. even though that like their relationship is destined to just like ruin both of them it's such a hard thing to watch <laughs> just oh god it's communicated so well fuck this movie's good man <laughs> yeah to your point something i noticed this time that i never noticed before is that like when he first starts going out with Clementine, he mentions, like, well, I'm kind of living with someone. I'm living with a woman. Um, he clearly was in, like, a very committed relationship that he just bailed on, right? You know, like, and I'm like, mm -hmm. I would love to know Charlie Kaufman's take on what kind of woman Joel was living with before he met Clementine. You know, like, is mm -hmm. he just, like a serial dater who like hops from serious relationship to serious relationship, but can never make it work. You know, like he's clearly not very satisfied with that relationship because she's just never in the movie and never gets mentioned ever after that, you know, like it clearly doesn't yeah. seem to be like something that's significant to him. I think she's like mentioned once maybe in the third. Act. Really? Okay. We're like reminded of her a little bit, but yeah, we, we were never shown her. Yeah. I might have missed it. Yeah, and if they mentioned her again, I only caught the first one. Um, it's a, it's a, dude. I'm I'm getting I'm getting emotional just thinking about this movie. This movie makes me cry. Um, there's because like <laughs> there's so much. I'm not laughing at you. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, I didn't think you were. There there's so much there's so much loss in this movie. So much like powerful devastating grief of you're just like when they're saying you know when they're saying goodbye right like and and she said like in, in in his dream and she says you know like and just like and also this like this powerful place of acceptance that, that the character joel gets to when he's like i guess this is in, in his dream when he's like this is pretty much the last time i'll ever remember you mm -hmm. what should we do enjoy it right and this is a character who seems like in this whole movie he has never enjoyed anything you know like it's like mm -hmm. the happiest i ever saw him was uh him beating off to furry porn that he drew um <laughs> like it's uh that's right he, he doesn't seem to enjoy anything and he seems to like finally learn to enjoy something in the moment and someone that he cares about knowing that she's about to be gone forever right and then they say like hey like she she tells him in the dream like you should say goodbye so at least we could have a goodbye um mm -hmm. and you know and that just hits me so hard that it's like dude this relationship meant something and they just threw it in the garbage you know like and and they regret that right like um you see just like loss and regain and uh, i don't know to me it's just it's such a powerful movie man it's such a powerful beautiful masterpiece yeah absolutely it's i i don't i don't know how else to build on that i feel like you said everything to be said about like their relationship yeah. in this movie uh i will add on to it by saying mm -hmm. they're Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet's performances and their chemistry together. It's just it sells everything that you're saying so perfectly. Yes. This like you're saying this is this your number one Jim Carrey performance? Oh, no no doubt about it in my mind. Blows okay. blows yeah. man on the moon out of the water. Don't at me. 
Um, blows man on the moon off the moon. Yeah. It blows a man on the moon. Right. So <laughs> that's a movie I would watch. And then Kate Winslet is just like on the other end of this, just like, oh my god, she's she's incredible in this movie. Yeah, and I feel like both of them, it's like this is especially at the time, not a Jim Carrey role, and also mm-hmm. not not something I'd really associate with Kate Winslet either. Like I often forget it's her because yeah, like this isn't her who, type of thing usually. Who would you associate like? 2004 or now like this is such a unique film and like such a unique story like who would you even associate like who would you put into these roles it's it's very tricky i feel like you would like probably just rip off garden state and do like zach braff and natalie portman and it, oh and, jesus you're and right it would have been a worse movie for it and i love i love zach braff and natalie portman and i kind of like garden state it's okay um <laughs> if uh if uh 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 fucking what is it if 500 days of summer is uh, the the founding piece of media for our nice guys um the garden state is the founding piece of media for pick me girls uh, don't don't at me about that either <laughs> um no but like it, it's so they they both got to showcase their range so fantastically well honestly i think you could say it about literally everyone that's in the movie um something i was commenting to vanessa while we were watching it last night was like man they did such an amazing job of giving really recognizable celebrities an ordinary person vibe like all of them don't seem like they really belong on tv which is one thing when you're seeing like indie actors that aren't tv pretty quote unquote you know like there's like Mm -hmm there's good looking people then there's like tv good looking people right like it's just like it's not human they're they're getting they have like teams of people designed to make them even more attractive than they naturally are right you know like but Mm -hmm. um they they got me like thinking mark ruffalo and jim carrey and kirsten dunst and kate winslet are like just regular people regular people you see on the street you know like it's it's mm-hmm. very impressive, and this movie wouldn't have worked if they looked like celebrities. Yeah, it's such a like grounded movie, you know, for how insane yeah. it is. But like it, it, the the world is grounded. <laughs> uh, well, that's not true either. We we need we need it to be grounded. Yeah, right. Like these need to feel like real characters because if it was like the hit celebrity of that year. Yes. going into like this fantastical world and like this realm of possibility it would just feel unnatural kind of like what you were saying but if yeah. we if we take these actors and just make them feel as grounded and human as possible the concept of like there's a clinic out there mm-hmm. that can target your memories and erase them so you do not feel grief anymore like Fuck. all that shit all that shit feels real like i'm i'm less drawn to the celebrity performance and more invested in the world that this movie right. is creating well that's the thing it, it occurred to me as i was watching it again last night i was like this is a sci-fi mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is oh, totally. this is a sci-fi movie that i would never lump it in with the best sci-fi movies ever made or i wouldn't even call it a sci-fi 
But that's what it is. But they just ground it so well that it doesn't seem high concept at all, despite that it's, like, up its own ass with its premise. You know? Like, it really is. I... I call this movie, like, the level one evolution of Everything Everywhere all at once. Oh! Oh, yeah! I I see these two films, like, in the very similar lights. I hadn't connected that dot. It's just, like, the the high-concept sci-fi concept that's, like, driving this narrative and driving this plot is so grounded both through like the performances like we're grounding our celebrity actors we're grounding this operation it's not like if this movie was like come up with today it's just like a disney movie or just like something this memory erasure clinic would have been like this pristine lab with like a with like just some other celebrity just like elevated like everyone sitting up in proper white lab coats just like it would have been too unbelievable and like fantastical but it's just in like a fucking broken down clinic in like a less economically prosperous part of new york basically (laughs) like it's just run out of a house with just like an overworked receptionist and like okay like yeah the doctor will see you now and he's just got his office with all his junk all his files like it's not glamorous it's not pretty it's not pristine it's grounded and real it's just like no this is just the thing we do yeah we figured out how to do it and it reminds me a lot of everything everywhere all at once was just like the high concept sci-fi is so grounded that (laughs) that you're just any anybody watching it can just be like yeah okay i'll buy into this Mm -hmm. like they found a way to do a thing that i understand like the concepts aren't that high but if you make it like so elitely unattainable the average audience member isn't going to see it as something that they can like visualize in their own reality and this movie just perfectly makes this visible like within our own realities yeah. just like i i know these clinics i know what this kind of doctor's office looks like this one just does something that's currently impossible but like i understand it. yeah no and i think like something that works to its credit was something i initially didn't like about the movie and it's that like the image quality is kind of shitty um to the point that i was like ah I really don't think they, like, should have gone with digital for this. Like, I think, like, you know, like, classic film uh, would have really taken it, like, just given it another feather in its cap. And then I looked it up. It shot on fucking 35 millimeter. You know, like, um, like, um, but it kind of looks, like, granular and a little bit blurry. And I think that, like, to your point, that's something that, that really works to the credit of this movie is that, it's not polished it's not glossy it feels gritty um and i think it absolutely needed that like i've got to think it was an intentional choice they could have made it look a lot prettier and they it looks like they made it look a little worse honestly like like that uh that video essay i was telling you about like it goes into detail some of the behind the scenes stuff where they're just like no we want to make it look shittier really like, the ca- the cameras are all going to be handheld there's no tripods awesome. it's it's like intentionally made to look God, 
I I cannot overstate the quality of the concept of filmmaking and cinematography driving the narrative mm -hmm. in this film. Like all of our dream sequences are we've got like these shaky camera movements but with like heavy visual effects we've got like this bright bright spotlight and like almost tunnel vision kind of views yes. it's just like it's fucking phenomenal like the filmmaking is selling us when like we're switching back and forth between like memories reality memories reality and it's just like we are we're not at all confused about where we are in the story because of how the film looks it's great good job good good job absolutely everybody like and it just it shouldn't flow like it flows like when, when i just when i synopsize this movie i'm like god this who could follow this plot right like um and it just flows you're just with it even like i remember on that first watch not fully understanding everything that was happening, but generally getting it and being like, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Let's keep going. You know, like, I, I don't need anyone to clarify anything. I can just keep going. Um, mm -hmm. Like, God, it's just a just a fantastic film, man. Um, yeah, there's, there's so many, like, little visual details that, like, if I watch this movie again and then watch it a fourth time or watch it a fifth time, I'm sure I'm going to pick up, like, on all these little details almost all of them visual mm -hmm. as I watch it again and again and again. And I'm excited to do that, honestly. Yeah, man. Um, there was one detail that I appreciated that they got wrong in light of uh, a phobia I've shared publicly recently. Um, About uh, potatoes? And... Yeah, her, her Clementine's <laughs> potato collection would absolutely be sprouting. You can't, just, you can't just stick toothpicks in those things and let them sit. They're dangerous. They're still alive. They're alien. Um... <laughs> I was like, I was like, this is unrealistic, but I'm glad. <laughs> so, um, oh, thank God. Speaking of Clementine, um, <clears throat> it, it, she she really sticks out to me. I just I see it more than ever in this, um, probably because I now have several years of experience in specializing in treating this. Um, she gives a instructional video step by step on how to let everyone know that you have borderline personality disorder. <laughs> like, I have never seen uh, a more clear-cut yeah. diagnosis in a movie character ever in my life. I kind of wanted to ask you about that, because I thought it might have been, like, some kind of bipolar, because their first conversation that we see when they're on the subway, yeah. she kind of, like, turns, it's just, like, starts being really defensive in the middle of their conversation. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, so bipolar and borderline look a lot alike, um, especially if you get, like, bipolar 2 with, with mixed features. Um, a, a, way you, a way you tell them apart is with bipolar, we would expect mood swings to last uh, longer. Like, you know, like, usually a couple weeks, at least a couple days, um, sometimes months, um, sometimes half a year. With, with borderline... We would expect them to be like like it was originally called emotionally unstable personality disorder um mm -hmm. and we would expect it to be like just rarely more than an hour or two just like rapidly changing moods 
Um, and it's because like part of part of borderline, not to get fully into a whole clinical spiel, um, but it's like you, you part of part of the condition is that you haven't developed this internal sense of self. Um, hence her saying, I apply my personality with a trait, um, or with a, with a paste, not a trait. Um, I feel mm-hmm. like I'm mixing up a lot of words tonight. I, I had a long day. Um, but, um, uh, I apply my personality with a paste and that's something that people with borderline will constantly say, like, I don't know who I am just whoever I'm infatuated with at the moment, I have their interest, you know, like I, I, I just kind of adapt to the environment cause I don't want to be abandoned. So I just try to like everything that I think I'm supposed to like, or adapt this like shell, this husk around me that makes people not want to abandon me. Um, but they, they, there's part of the reason the moods change so much is like, there's not a lot of internal self to consult and so your emotions are very dependent on external stimuli. Um, and so if you like the way Joel Barish is treating you, and also you just, a part of borderline two is you'll have a favorite person usually that you um, oscillate between idealization and devaluation of them, which you see her do with Joel constantly in this movie mm-hmm. of like, he's either like, her reason to live and the best person ever, or just this like despicable piece of garbage that she hates and can't stand and verbally abuses. Um, if you like the way he's treating you, then you'll feel really good. If you don't like the way he's treating you, then you'll get really mad all of a sudden. And those, those really intense, powerful mood swings will happen a lot of the time on like a a minute to minute basis. You know, like it's, 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 uh, it's a lot of suffering. It's a personal hell. It's a very, yeah. very debilitating condition, and uh, I specialize in treating it. I love it. I love borderline. I really do. Um, if you're if you're listening to this and you have borderline personality disorder, or you think you might. I want you to hear in a clear voice from a professional that that is not a death sentence, and there's a lot of hope for you, and things can get a hell of a lot better. Um, don't call me call my friends uh i'm not going to counsel you if you listen to this podcast <laughs> There's, i hope none of my clients ever find this <laughs> only reach out to denny to refer you to somebody yes else. i will do that and i'd be happy to um i'd be delighted to help you out with that because it's it's honestly one of the more stigmatized mental illnesses there are um and it's you know and on some level people with borderline who don't have insight and aren't doing their work are gonna be abusive and toxic and so i get why there's like stigma towards that but like man i'm telling you insightful people with borderline who are who are working really hard are some of the wisest and most wonderful people i know and i'll 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 take that to the bank man I, i really do think that like there's a difference between borderline without insight and borderline with insight and if you google it you're probably going to find a bunch of people being like they're so toxic they're abusive run and i'm like "Mm." (laughs) if someone's like doubling down on their like uh abusive behaviors yeah run but if that's you or if you've been that in the past um it is not a death sentence and there's a lot of ways to heal i just want you to hear that from somebody because i know you've heard a lot of negative shit about what you're dealing with in your life and that's not you that doesn't have to be you um but yeah i particularly love the character even more because it's like i mean we've talked about how like 
I, I feel like anyone who has some specialized knowledge, you know, like if if you're a cop, you're not going to watch cop movies the same. You know, like if you're a doctor, you're going to constantly be like, oh my God, it's not like that. You know, like, and that's, that's me with specifically mental health and pro wrestling. And uh, this is one that just without even saying like, hello, I have this disorder. I go to a doctor for it. Um, like they just picture perfect, like just a checklist of diagnostic criteria. You know, <laughs> like I just, I've got to think it was informed and intentional i just cannot imagine you would be able to do that on accident i don't know how that could happen You're it's right. such it's such a like specifically presenting uh condition that I, it's just like i'm like i gotta think clementine was written from a very informed perspective yeah there were a lot of writers on this movie and i i i just i'm enamored with just the depth and understanding with which these characters are written. Yeah. Basically everything you outline of just like, yeah, your diagnosis of like this fictional character is just like carried to a T. It's perfect. It's it's perfect. Seriously, like it's perfect. That's another borderline movie, Black Swan. <laughs> ah, I like that movie a lot. I love that movie. Oh, Can't wait till you see the boy version by the same director. It's called The Wrestler. Oh my god, I cannot wait to watch that movie. It's We're going to do a sports movie episode. Yeah, and I'm going to And I need I need you to pick the wrestler. Brother, I can't tell you how much I hate sports movies. If you if you thought I was a little a little butt hurt pain in the ass for the cooking episode, think about how much I like food. Um, <laughs> um, I'm I'm I would absolutely have to be like, "Sorry, Greg, I only like pretend sports. We're going to have to do the wrestler." <laughs> don't like real ones he only likes sports entertainment there we go um back on eternal sunshine at the spotless mind i kind of getting back to the groundedness of the every single character in every single institution in this movie i do feel like this this clinic of like memory erasure is just it's extremely misguided and the movie's not afraid to tell us that it's misguided because like if you just you can talk to anybody and like anybody over like a certain age and say like hey something has definitely hurt you in the past how would you like it if your memory of what hurt you so bad could be erased every single person would jump on that opportunity and this this movie is so i i think it's incredible the way it like it understands that anybody and everybody would jump on this opportunity Mm -hmm. but it's also not afraid to say like this is it's kind of cautionary where it's just like if you did this here is how heavily and why you would regret that sort of thing yeah yeah i don't think we see a single success story to this operation no they even in have, this movie we hear kirsten dunce on the phone saying like i'm sorry you can't have this procedure done three times in a month you know like we just that's not okay yeah. we don't do that you're getting addicted to this man um it, it that's what's crazy is like this whoever she's talking to not only like they they remembered and thought to do this procedure again and again and again. That's what's terrifying. Yeah. I don't think maybe that person didn't commit all the way. 
Well, but but I, I think yeah. Go ahead. With trauma and loss and grief, there's a phase in your suffering, which is really the beginning of your healing, premature enlightenment, as uh, Tyler Durden would say. Um, mm -hmm. There's a phase where you would absolutely just delete it from your brain if you could. But I would even I would actually counterpoint you and say most people I know who've been through a lot of suffering and are on the other side, if you ask them, would you change it? Most of them would say no. Because yeah, they're like, it led me to where I am and I'm who I am because of this. And that's, that's what we call redemptive suffering. And you can't rush there because it's invalidating, you know, like in the early phases to be like, don't worry, there's silver linings. And everyone's gonna be like, how about you shove that up your pee hole um <laughs> like um, i am hurting right now but there's such a thing as redemptive suffering it's the best kind of suffering suffering that leads to something good and i think usually when we stick with it long enough and we keep going and we do our work we find our way there you know we find we find our way to appreciate our pain and to see the value in it and and to truly move on like to truly go through hell and walk through it until you're done walking through it and then keep going and let it be part of your past and to grow from it to to take value away from it it's it's i really think that like like i, I can't think of anyone i know who's not in like the early stages of that right that would be like mm -hmm. then i'm i'm including myself in this category man i've been through some powerful fucking loss in my life um I don't see any other way for me to meet Vanessa, man. Like, just the shit I've gone through. If I didn't take that path, I, I just don't... I don't see me meeting her. And I'd take it. I'd do it again, man. I'd yeah. do it a thousand times over. I'd make the same fucking mistakes that I regret. Because it's... You say all that... You say all that, and I think the movie completely understands yeah. that. And I feel like that's, that's the point of the movie, yeah. is understanding that. This organization that is willing to erase your memories is just like they're filling a need that people think they have but they don't really have yeah. like it's that's such an unnatural thing to disrupt your own growth through the negative circumstances in your own life that lead us to better things and it just seems like nobody in this organization is learning that lesson even though they're falling into that trap themselves in some cases with Kirsten Dunst's character like uh, and and I think yeah like I said that's that's the point of the film is just like memories are not just some like video files that you can delete and move on from mm -hmm. like it's what creates who you are now and it's it's just hard like yeah it's it's such a hard concept to put on film because like on one hand you do understand why you would want to erase those things from your life but like like you were saying like i'm on the other end of like plenty of things myself and i wouldn't change a thing for me but at the time i would have totally done this so it's just like it's such it's it's relatable but it's cautionary but we're kind of also in denial watching it even though we know better it's like 
there's so many layers to like how I feel about the point of this film that it's all executed and communicated so well and on such a deep level that ah this movie's good dude it's (laughs) it's so damn good in summary movie good yeah like and you know and that's that's the bitch of it right like it's a it's a cheesy therapy line that i have found to be universally true and it's that in order to heal it you have to feel it um there there is simply no other way right um numbing your pain is never the answer um trying to pretend it didn't happen trying to make yourself forget pressing it, um, having a, a sketchy, unethical doctor erase it from your brain while he's stoned. Um, these, are, these are all not the answer. Uh, <laughs> like, it's... it's, Dude, you, you have to face your shit, right? Like, you have to... N- numbing it will never work because... And, and this is what I think the movie really gets, right? It, it, mm-hmm. It's something that I'm constantly going over with people in therapy is like, you know, you try to numb the emotions you don't like. Um, but the problem is you can't really numb one emotion selectively. Um, you'll, you'll, you'll numb them all, right? Like when you try to do that and then, and then you lose really important things that you love. Right. And then you see, you see Joel in his memories being like, Oh my God, please just this one. Let me keep this one. Don't erase this one. This one makes me so happy. I don't, I don't want to lose this, right? Like, he starts to realize that, that he's losing so many wonderful things about his relationship with Clementine. And he's just like, what the fuck have I done? I want out, right? Like, I don't want to lose these things. And that's that's the place of post-traumatic growth that y- you can eventually get to. Like, with, with, with fucking anything, man. Let me tell you, the, the human capacity to heal just never ceases to amaze me. Um, you can get through fucking anything. Um, and that's, again, you know, to summarize, like, when you try to numb parts of yourself and view parts of yourself as just not valuable anymore, not only do those parts of yourself have more value than you realize, watch Inside Out, Sadness Helps You Grieve if you need it. Um, like, um, (laughs) but it also, like, you, you lose parts of yourself you love when you try to do that. You, you just you just can't get rid of things that are you um, and that are your experience and your story and this is just it's just such a powerful beautiful movie uh, about that about that exactly right and I'm developing mm-hmm. like an even deeper appreciation for it as, as you're pointing these things out I'm glad I could do that for you man yeah thank you Hell yeah. thank you Greg um, I wanted to draw one similarity between this and uh, I'm thinking of ending things. Also, a Charlie Kaufman ca- film. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Charlie Kaufman directed that one. He wrote this one. The the ending scene that we see with uh, oh man, just this this loop of our two characters like falling in love with each other and like we kind of get this sense of like all right they found each other again but then the video starts looping with them on the beach in montauk again and again and again you're like oh shit are they are they destined to do this forever and ever and ever and the movie ends by fading to white yeah 
I love that. And it's, it reminded me of, um, I'm thinking of ending things fading to blue. I didn't, in I that, didn't notice that. In that final scene. Yeah. Um, or at least I don't after, remember it. I'm sure I noticed it if the screen just turned blue, but I don't, it didn't stand out to me. When Jesse Plemons' character is like doing the Oklahoma mm-hmm. um, scene and he gives that final speech and the movie like fades to blue and then I think the sequence is it goes to the truck where the janitor has committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Like it's just oh my god I don't know why that's like it's such a simple technique of like fading up fading to a different color like fading to black is just like and we have closure but like fading to white in this movie's case is just like everything's still up in the air it's just like it it leaves us with such a like an uncertainty that like a fade to black is just like draw the curtain stories over and like a fade to white just feels unnatural to us like it's such a subconscious like little thing that i just wanted to call out that he that uh charlie kaufman did in that movie as well it's just like it doesn't feel right it doesn't feel like we ended the right way so i'm forced to think about this a couple steps further a couple steps ahead based on like the last 30 seconds of what I just saw. I thought that was so cool. Dude. That, that, I, I honestly, I, I'm glad it stuck out to you because I didn't really have any interpretation of it. But this was actually for as many times as I've seen this movie, usually because I'm probably like crying and thinking about my life by that point in the movie. But <laughs> your eyes are too mistied up to understand <laughs> what's going on. Yeah, I, I, but I'd I never noticed that they, they looped the same clip three times and faded out a little more each time. Um, like, I, I just, I never caught it before, and I didn't really know what to make of it. I, I really so liked you your did, take. you hadn't seen it until this time? I'd see... That they, that they looped it? I never noticed or you, it. Like, you I just... never noticed it, no. So me saying that is what made you realize No, no, that? I noticed it on this watch. Oh, okay. But okay, I also... Okay. That's, I what, that's what I was trying to I say. I didn't really yeah. have any takes on it. You know, like, and I really like your, your interpretation of it, is what I'm saying. Yeah, we're just left with this... That's like that YouTube comment that I was just saying. Like, I don't know if I'm going to feel like satis- satisfaction or heartbreak yeah. here and it's just like it's up to you and this like your questions aren't answered and just like you're just left with this pensive feeling of not stress but like uneasiness yeah. and just like discomfort and like realization fuck it's good yeah. <laughs> it's... damn Yep. Very cool. Uh, do you have any other uh, notes to kind of close out on? If I do, I haven't had my phone open this whole discussion. This is one of those like whiplash where I'm like, let's just talk, you know? Like, um, yeah. And uh, one one that I would throw in there is I I, I really love the soundtrack to this movie. Um, oh shit! I, yes. I I don't listen to a lot of movie scores for fun. Like I, I get most of my songs I like from movie soundtracks, but like. This one is like a score that's on my playlist, um, especially like the, the Elephant Parade track is just so good. Um, and also, that was a that was a shooting the parade scene. Yeah. Oh wait, what the, do you mean? Uh, it's a red letter media thing, shooting the parade, or is or a shooting the rodeo? Sorry. Oh, okay, because I was like, yeah, Greg, I know they filmed a parade. What do you? Of course, it's yeah. a shooting the parade scene. It's like <laughs> the the circus just had to run elephants through town because that's the only way they can get elephants to the circus. And then somebody on 
uh, I think it was the director of photography was just like, we gotta get our characters out there while this is happening at midnight, and they filmed a fucking scene there. That's it was awesome. Awesome. And it also that's such a cool detail. And it, that's and like it just also works from a story perspective of like it's not just like a we have to get a cool shot so they shoehorn it in there. That's something that I mm-hmm. absolutely believe that Joel and Clementine would do. You know, like go, go out to see them taking the elephants to the circus. You yeah. know, like I a hundred percent believe to they a T would do how that. they displayed it. Yeah. Too. Oh, a hundred percent. Like it doesn't. I mean, it's like the fucking climax of the movie. It's like when they're like reading the poem that has the movie's title in it is when they show it, and it's such a <sighs> such a quick little scene, you know. Um, that part's so good. God, yeah, <laughs> not to give away any gimmicks, but <laughs> like I also wanted to say about the soundtrack. Um, I don't know if y'all are fans of the polyphonic spree, y'all. Like to the listeners, um, like um, I don't know. This is their episode. I don't know if all four of you um, are polyphonic spree fans, uh, but um, the, the they play it really briefly. Probably my favorite polyphonic spree song is "Light and Day," um, and they, they, you hear it like Joel's listening to it in his car at some point, like just for a second. Um, but the the music video for that song is just clips from this movie with like eyes and mouths of the singer transposed on the characters singing the song um, and it's like super <laughs> weird and trippy and also wonderful so if you like this movie and or polyphonic spree there's a special treat for your for your youtube night um enjoy it's a fun video and also kind of creepy oh yeah <laughs> it's, it's like basically like a thing people are doing with tiktok filters now but i'm sure someone had to actually edit it back then <laughs> instead of just like run run a filter so <laughs> um i guess my last note is um clementine's hair color in our first mm-hmm. scene this is just like such a minor thing like mostly just for me uh her hair color is blue ruin and then when we meet in her apartment she serves a drink called the Blue Ruin. Blue Ruin is a Blue Ruin is a movie that I thought like it was a coincidence, like the titles were the same, but the director actually like in the video I was watching, the video essay, the director confirmed that he took inspiration for the title of the movie Blue Ruin from this movie. Whoa! And I thought that was a, a really cool shout out. So Jeremy Saunier he's the guy that directed uh Green Room. Ooh. Which is one of my favorites. Um, he has a movie called Blue Ruin, which I really, really loved. So yeah, to to, uh, to sorry, go ahead. You're not done. That was, it's just like a minor little shout out that I, I had. Would like to see Blue that Ruin. I I thought that was really cool. I want to I want to edify another point. Those are with your point. Heavy movies. Yeah, I'll bet. Um, Vanessa and I have have often joked uh, with other colleagues that there should be like. Uh, color of hair dye called uh, borderline blue um, because uh, <laughs> uh, well it's sometimes easy to spot um, but like when when she said it's a blue ruin Vanessa looked at me and went borderline blue there it is it's actually called blue ruin and it's like yep that's just another way that this movie was absolutely on the money with, with their understanding of this disorder <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's right a closing thought i have is the the huckleberry hound arc makes me sad oh god that kills me that's that's such a little clue into like what the reality of the like 
timeline of the narrative is too yeah right oh, yeah. it's just like oh i've never heard that song and then you find out later like oh it's one of my favorites from childhood right. like oh god it's huckleberry hound doll right it's not even that he liked the cartoon he had like a cowboy woody friend you know like and mm-hmm. and it just works so well because when he says it you're like who fucking hasn't heard of huckleberry hound you know like like who hasn't heard of it right like um mm-hmm. and then like as the movie goes on if you remember that you might be like ah that probably got erased and then they hit you with like his favorite toy when he it was did. a kid was Huckleberry <laughs> Hound. Like it's not just, it's not just the show that's gone. It's it's like got to be a lot of memories. Like you know, like a, a lot of childhood. Lot. Shit. Yeah, which has deeper implications about like the the ethics of this process exactly. in general. Fuck, damn. All right, uh, Denny, let's do some. Let's, let's gimmick it up. It's it's getting yeah, late. It's past twelve. Some of us have work in the morning. This is not a host pleaser episode. This is a crowd pleaser <laughs> episode, Eddie. What is your favorite crowd pleaser moment? You know, I had a hard time coming up with one and didn't. I have two. Wonderful. Because I, I was very much like, I don't know that this is a uh, a, a, a crowd pleasing movie. It's it's really sad. <laughs> um, and and and. Um, and and hard to hard to really get excited and happy about in a lot of points points um i think i'm just gonna go with them saying okay at the end um because i feel like that's that's a happy point for me and that's a happy point for most audience members and even if even if that's not the intent of that moment is to make you happy it plays that way um, you know, like it, it absolutely does, and it makes me happy every time. Every time I see it, so I'm, I'm going to go with them saying okay. That's pretty awesome. Uh, my runner-up is David Cross arguing the validity of smoking weed to balance out the effects of drinking. <laughs> so that he, can, he can be a better driver. <laughs> Love it. Uh, but my winner for favorite crowd pleaser is Frodo's relationship with the Hulk being very funny <laughs> they, they were it's great they're fun together they were a good Rosencrantz and Guildenstern break up break up the tension a little bit there you go yeah. uh what's what's your favorite line um oh god there's there's a there's a million but I had a one runner-up that was I'm a vindictive little bitch truth be told mm-hmm. Um, but my favorite line is just coming to grips with like I can't escape my memory of you is getting erased god damn it's one of the heaviest parts of the movie and Clementine is just telling him this is it Joel it's going to be gone soon Joel says I know what should we do and Joel just says enjoy it he's been run he's been running from the fact that he made the decision to erase her and he's just saying like you know what while we're here in this memory together let's just enjoy it together it is emotionally the heaviest part of the movie for me dude it's so in that last scene you know like when she's like i told you to leave and he's like yeah and i did i was scared i I wish i didn't do that you know like i I I just wish i I wish i didn't go 
I wish I stayed. He says it so many times. I wish I stayed. I wish I'd stayed. Make him stay, Clem. You can hear him <laughs> screaming at himself. <laughs> <laughs> Make him stay, Clem. Jim Carrey's in the test rack. Like, hey, <laughs> I was your ghost, <laughs> Joel. What? <laughs> what? I was your huckleberry hound, Joel. <laughs> Parents are the huckleberry hounds of their children. <laughs> and their children's future. <laughs> Eternal sunshine of the interstellar mind. <laughs> Denny, what's your favorite line, please? I gotta give a runner-up that I never noticed until this watch. Um, it's, it's, it's at the very beginning of the movie when Joel's just, like, disoriented and journaling. It goes, sand is overrated. It's just tiny little rocks. <laughs> and I was like, first of all, true. Second of all, this seems like absolutely the kind of thing that Joel would be like misanthropic about. Of like, too many people like sand. It's not that great. Anakin Skywalker is <laughs> on your page. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, obvious comparison, right? <laughs> it gets everywhere. Well, we we don't. But not like Clementine. She's soft and smooth. You know, I gotta, I gotta, I was gonna say it, but I got the Wakanda X. Uh, I tried to do Star Wars, and they told me we don't do that here. We don't do that. <laughs> um, uh, I, I was gonna go with the poem that the movie gets its namesake from, because that's just so beautiful and uh, one of the best title drops I've ever heard in a movie. Um, oh my god! I, no kidding. I think I've just gotta go with. Uh, Oh, oh! it just gets me, man. I just got chills saying it. In case my mic didn't pick it up, I, I did Clementine whispering, meet me in Montauk. The last thing Joel remembers says, like, that his memory of her told him how to get back to her. Mm -hmm. God damn, man. That, like, when he finally accepted this is all getting erased, there was something so deep in him that told him the way back to her. Like, the last thing he got from this journey, right? Like, yeah. God, I love that, man. I really do. Call, call me a hopeless romantic. You'd be right. And I have no defense. I am. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, critic or score, my Greg? Um, I, I, I did a lot of comparison from this movie comparing it to everything everywhere all at once um ah oh man i i had this one 10 years ago i gave it a 31 i knew it was good but i didn't fully understand mm -hmm. it now that i understand it more and like i i know that like in 10 years i'm going to understand it even yeah. better connect with it even more and then 10 years after that uh right now this one's sitting at a 38 <laughs> Out of, out of 40 very nice i i i hesitate i hesitate to rate it higher because i feel like everything everywhere all at once is an evolution of this i don't think it's like derivative of it derivative of yeah. it but i think it's just like i've seen what this sort of feel of a film and what this kind of idea what it can really lead to in a narrative film and i i think i've seen a little bit better but i think this is incredibly special yeah. so i i'm giving it a 38 cool cool 
I, I never thought about comparing it to everything everywhere all at once and I can't believe I didn't you know like it's like mm-hmm. as soon as you said that I was like yes oh my god yes these are you know a, a walk so it could run situation right um, but it's really mm-hmm. it's like ran so it could fly it really is like more what it was um <laughs> this this movie didn't walk at no all. this was running full sprint with just incredible filmmaking techniques just everything perfectly Bro, executed we didn't even with just such a smart fucking story. talk about the cinematography i i touched a little bit on the, like the dream sequence kind of stuff yeah. but just like the filmmaking informing the narrative like Dude. It's such a strong like visual identity. There's there's some stuff in those dream sequences that I cannot believe they did in one shot, and they did. You know, like it's like mm-hmm. not a whip cut. You know, I was watching. I was like, oh, they're gonna move the camera really fast to go back. Nope, nope, nope. Mm, moved it nice and slow, no, so I would it's, know it was it's one literally, shot. <laughs> it's literally Jim Carrey going behind the camera to change outfits. It's a an actor to, made to look like Kate Winslet walking out the door. It's yes. a trap door so Kate Winslet looked like she disappeared from the bathroom. Yes. It's stuff like that fuck it's good God damn it's good it's fan fantastic <laughs> um I, I, this one uh, your turn uh, 50 out of 50 um 50 uh, honestly i i bounce back and forth this one i move it back and forth between 49 and 50 a lot um you should there's stop there's that. a few there's a few it. little tiny things that bother me and if i can overlook all the things i overlooked for the cable guy i think i can just fuck that stuff who gives a shit for this like it's it's yeah. uh after this discussion i've never been more sure in my heart of hearts that this is a 50 out of 50 i wanted you to give it a 50 not gonna lie like i i'm i i want to push you that okay. way and i'm glad yeah, i did no, this, this is a five star five star one of the best movies ever made and also one of my favorite movies ever made love this movie to death that's right uh, well greggy <sighs> what's um, i feel i feel heavy yeah me too man like <laughs> you, you can't just talk about this movie and feel levity like it, i don't feel sad either but i just well that was yeah. fun like nah, not but quite. no i just feel like a certain a certain reverence really like for the not to, not even for the movie but for like the human condition <laughs> you know like i just feel like <laughs> this sense of like grounded respect for it right now <laughs> like it's yeah. it's uh it's pretty cool um uh this uh, you know i feel like this question's gonna answer itself and is just wrote but why not what's the best movie for when uh you're a crowd pleaser Ooh, movies for when you're a crowd pleaser hmm, let me think on that uh the people spoke this got third place in the voting but i think it gets first place here it's eternal sunshine of the spotless mind people have people know that you love it i don't think people knew that i love it uh but but yeah this this movie is incredible and i think to to you know further the comparison to everything everywhere all at once it is such a universally accessible film it's high concept but it is universally accessible if you can on a basic level understand where the narrative is going you can connect to this film and i think this will make a lot of people think about a lot of things it may not make you happy all the time but that's not what it's going for it'll make you feel things that maybe you didn't realize Mm -hmm. that you felt or realized you could feel yeah absolutely um 
I'm, I'm going to second your choice. You know, like, again, honestly, I think you can make a case that, like, the biggest crowd pleaser here is probably Napoleon Dynamite. It's certainly the most mm-hmm. the most popular of these movies. Uh, Tina, come get your food, you fat lard. <laughs> great, great moment. Um, great moment. <laughs> I just, I'm not about to... I'm not about to not pick Eternal Sunshine after that discussion. I'm sorry. <laughs> this movie could be like this could be like movies for when you want to see a submarine movie, and we accidentally did Eternal Sunshine, and I would just still pick it. Like you know, like it's just like there's yeah. nothing that could talk me out of that. Um, but I, you know, to your point, I'd agree with you that like this is an art film, like a high concept art film and it's not inaccessible and that doesn't bother people um i don't know a lot of people who like art movies man and i don't know anyone who doesn't like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind uh unless alexi is going to come in with a hot take she does she does hate some universal beloved <laughs> movies so um alexia let us know in the comments if uh, if if this is a hereditary situation for you um <laughs> called out <laughs> um what a wrong ass motherfucker (laughs) (laughs) no opinions are wrong we have to be careful with opinions love her to death (laughs) but alexia is wrong about hereditary being bad (laughs) no honestly i don't even want to give her shit um fuck greg what are we doing next week uh oh man it's it's been a long time coming a year in the making, some would say. Denny, next week is going to be episode number 50. Not only that, it is going to release approximately, because, you know, days shift in the calendar as years go on, approximately one year after our first episode. Yeah. So next week is movies for when you've been making a podcast for a year. We've come a long way, baby. A whole ass year. Dude. It's incredible, man. I don't think I've really internalized that. This feels like a new fun thing we're doing. (laughs) Like, recent, you know? I mean, it's still... It is, for sure. Dude. We've been... But also, a new fun thing... Excuse me. A new fun thing we've been doing for a year. Yeah. (laughs) That's embarrassing. Oh, man. We've already got our movies picked out. If you remember, our first episode was... Uh, Back to the Future, Nomadland, unfortunately, and (laughs) (laughs) The Silence of the Lambs. And we're going to kind of repeat our thought presses for film picking there. We gave you guys all three movies this year, so calm the fuck down. (laughs) Settle in. (laughs) We already picked all three this week. Shut up. (laughs) Uh, Natural progression of things, we're going to pick Back to the Future part two the movie that won best picture this most recent oscar season coda Mm -hmm. which is way better than nomadland holy shit i've been waiting for a reason to watch it i'm excited for coda yeah it's fine i have some takes we'll see but it is significantly better than nomadland and uh the sequel to uh the silence of the lambs red Dragon. Is that is that the next one? 
Okay. Yeah, I believe. I so. meant to look it up because right? I, I don't I don't know. Um, uh, um, hold on. We'll make a hundred percent sure before we watch them. Um, 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 I think it's Red Dragon, and if it's not that, we'll pick we'll pick the other let me, one. Let me. We'll be correct. Uh, yeah, I, I realized I had no idea like chronologically. Dude, What's... I listened. <laughs> I listened to our first episode today because like I wanted to get into the spirit of like one year. Like, where were we a year ago? Uh-huh. And it, and I mentioned like there was a Clarice, like, TV show on CBS. I have not thought about it since that episode. <laughs> I, I doubt it's still on. I just remember that they couldn't mention um, Hannibal Lecter at all <laughs> because it was an NBC property. <laughs> fucking hilarious i love stuff like that. um hey greg uh hannibal is actually the next movie in the franchise hannibal yeah, okay it's uh it's they're real close hannibal's 01 red dragon is 02 um oh okay. and something i didn't know i've never heard of this apparently the 1986 film manhunter is part of this series never heard of that movie in my life hmm that'll be when you're making a podcast for two years yeah Stay tuned. <laughs> That's when we go back in time, and we—it's when you made a podcast a year ago. Uh, back to the Future Part Zero. Uh, I just picked up. <laughs> I just googled Manhunter. I don't see Anthony Hopkins. I'm not interested. Uh, so That's right. Fuck that. Um, yeah, next week's gonna be awesome, man. It's our one year anniversary. That's really cool. It's gonna be a lot of fun, man. I really can't wait. Um, something I also said in that first episode at the very end our very first episode i said i hate catchphrases do you still denny i've seen the light yes i've changed i've grown as a person yes so if you could just justify this newfound feeling of a love for catchphrases and just hit Hit me with a catchphrase. <laughs> For Greg, the personal growth and willingness to change Johnson, I'm Denny, the rigid beliefs and stubbornness Taylor. And this has been Movies for When? You'll never know when we erased your memory. What's my cage again?